Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Talking Comics Podcast. It is Wednesday, September 8th, 2021, and you're listening to episode number 511. I am your host, Steve Say, and joining me for this week's show is Mr. Bob Ryer. Congratulations to friend of the pod, Kristen Gutsnuck, and her guy, Jordan, on getting engaged, and happy birthday, Aaron! Hey! All of that covered in one shot. How about that? Uh, Joey Braccino is here. Oh, bother. <laughs> we'll explain that in a minute. Oh, uh, father, piglet. <laughs> Aaron Amos is also here. Happy birthday, Aaron. Lies, lies, all lies. Oh, there's no birthday. All lies. The cake mm. is a lie. <laughs> the birthday cake is a lie. Uh, John Burkle is also with us. A minute in, and we're already off the rails. Way to go, guys! A minute in, and we already have our episode title. How about that? <laughs> All right, welcome to the show. This is going to be a wonky one. Uh, I'm exhausted. And I'm exhausted because we uh, just had our first house guest in forever. She just got in her car to go home. A friend of the pod, a friend of the group, Lauren Colleagues, was nice enough to go on this absolutely epic journey of preparing with multiple COVID tests and canceled doctor's appointments and everything just to get uh, enough people to vouch for her that she's COVID free and uh, ready to enter the Canada. And so she came for Labor Day weekend and we had a lovely time. We went out to dinner. We went over to a friend's house. We went to the movies to go and see Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which by the way, we will be talking about a little bit later in the show. We are going to do a spoiler-free review of Shang-Chi uh, only later because uh, we're guessing that a lot of people have not seen it for reasons that are completely understandable. Uh, we will talk about the movie. We will talk about our individual times at the theater. And uh, I don't know, maybe a little bit of con talk, definitely some comics, and uh, a little bit of news. And we have a few questions. We're gonna we're, we'll we'll address those later. Who's gonna <laughs> get to go this week and who? Uh, it's more of a preparedness thing on our part than anything else, or my part. I'll take the blame. Uh, but yeah, so we've only got Joey, yeah, for a for a short period of time because he sounds up, like man. I can't, I can't I sounds can't. like Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. <laughs> Can you say Christopher Robin for me? Christopher Robin. There you go. I love it. Christopher Robin. May I have a travel balloon? <laughs> you really do sound like him. I love Thank it. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm a big Winnie the Pooh fan. 
Poo corner. I, I don't know who's I don't know who's not seeing Shang Chi. I I the theater I saw it thurs on Thursday, literally after the hurricane tore through New Jersey, and it was a full house. And I went again today before we're recording. This is Monday, and the movie theater by my house added like a dozen shows, and all of them were packed. Okay, but what is what is packed though? Like, are you still doing limited full, seating? No. no. Full house, and are I you kidding me, dude? Everybody like, sitting next to each other. Swear to God, I I logged in today, and it was like I, I found it was like all the seats were grayed out, except in the front row, obviously. And I don't mind; I sit in the front row. And I picked a seat that was between two other seats, like a single whatever. So I was like, oh, no one's gonna. I sit there, I started the movie, and then two dudes walk in together. And then sit on either side of me. And I'm like, do you guys want to sit next to each other? And they're like, no, we're good. And I was like, what? Wow. <laughs> All right. So they can talk through you. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Two dudes in a hot tub, you know, like the vine. But yeah. um, that's that's for our younger viewers, uh, listeners. Sorry. But yeah, it was packed. And then I was, and then when I was buying the three o'clock ticket, I was like, oh, let me check the four o'clock. Maybe it's fewer reservations or whatever. Packed. All of it packed. I went to the five packed, like full wow. houses here. Yeah. So I counted. I, I sat down and I waited until the the pre show was rolling and all the seats were filled. And um, there were fifteen people in the theater total. And this was a um, a like VIP theater. So the, the seats are massive, right? The recliners and the whole bit and. So they come and they serve you food, the, the whole, the whole, the whole thing. And, um, so five people, including us, cause it was me, Bronwyn, Lauren, and our friends, Brad and Colleen were sitting in the row in front of us. And then 10 other people, all socially distanced, all masked when they weren't eating their snacks and whatnot. Uh, the staff was completely masked. The place was a ghost town. There was nobody in the lobby. There were nobody in the halls, nobody in the bathrooms, nowhere to be found. It felt like we had the theater all to ourselves. Wow. And it was amazing. Like I was really impressed by Cineplex and and how much care they took to make everybody feel safe in theater. Like I know that we're still taking things very seriously here in London. Like there's still a lot of rules that you have to follow when you enter places and capacities that need to be monitored and stuff like that. There are lines to go into the food store still in some cases. And, uh, but I will say I was super nervous about going in and then I went to go and grab tickets and it was just empty. There was nobody there. And I was like, all right, maybe this won't be so bad. And then 15 people in a giant movie theater like that, all there for like the express purpose of enjoying the living hell out of the movie we're about to watch. It was the most glorious movie experience I've had in a long time. Yeah. Uh, Here here in Long Island, it is still socially distant, but because you are now buying tickets in advance or most people are, I'm not, but you go in the theater and there's the spread. And I went to Island 16, which, you know, Steve, and it's one of the side theaters. So not a huge theater, 11.15 in the morning, it was virtually sold out. Wow. What that means, though, for them is, okay, if you come in as a family group of three or five, you can sit five together. But then there has to be a seat on each side before anyone else can sit. In some cases, that means the rest of the row no one sits in. 
Right. So the actual theater was probably 40, 45% filled, though, at mm-hmm. 11, 15 on a Sunday morning on a holiday weekend. Yeah, dude. So yeah, our biggest I theaters was, are. Oh, go ahead, Bob. Sorry. So I was I was pretty happy with that, though. I, I will tell another story about something I should have remembered about eleven fifteen movie shows. Is it yeah. children? No, it was okay. I'll go for this. I ordered. Well, first of all, I get sticker shock because I'm used to my local indie house. So even with the senior discount, eleven and a quarter seems like a lot to see a movie. Not mm-hmm. as bad as fourteen dollars for a soda. And a popcorn, and not a huge one either. That's a steal. The problem is, I forgot that obviously the eleven fifteen popcorn. Some of it's not from eleven fifteen. <laughs> oh no, you got the night the night after popcorn. Uh, so yeah, after when I got home, we were doing a, a chat, and I had to leave the chat because I ended up with a migraine, and then I ended up spending most of the night up walking around and going into the facilities because I was really sick overnight. Oh no, no, that sucks. Yeah, um, yeah, I shouldn't have had that popcorn. Should have had a, so that's some nachos. Well, I don't nachos. mind the popcorn. Always but go for the nachos. Oh, it's prepackaged. Nobody touched nothing. At eleven fifteen in the morning, it was it was whatever was left over from yesterday mixed with some new. I'm I'm supposing, Ew. but yeah, that was a mistake. I Big mistake. My peanut M Ms. Yeah, peanut M Ms and a bottle of water never failed anyone. So I know that we're going to get drastic once we get to John. But so Aaron, tell me because you went twice. Yes, I do. You saw it twice. What was your theater experience like? Fine. I had no problem. I don't know where y'all live. But no, I... Um, Not me, man. Mine was great. <laughs> no, I, um, I made a point of, of doing exactly what you guys are talking about, researching the place. I, I didn't go so far as to drive by the places beforehand because it's sort of like in a one of those downtown spaces. Like It's called Downtown Silver Springs in, in Maryland, maybe like 15 minutes away from my house. And so I figured, well, hell, I will just drive over. You know, and and go there, but I will just take a look to get a glance at what you know things look like online. Um, and I did that, and I did the the first time I saw it, I did a one o'clock show. Um, yeah, I did a one o'clock show, and I would say in that showing there were probably it was weird. The when the lady took my ticket, she goes, "Okay, so I'm gonna you just we give you a ticket real quick, so because it's gonna be real crowded in there. It's, it's I think it's super crowded in there. I'm like, what the hell is she talking about? I just looked online and. Like the whole damn thing was blue. I'm like, was I reading it wrong? Um, and I walked in and I swear there were maybe like, I'd say nine people in the very center. They may have been all together, sitting together. And I just sort of squatted like at the very top in the back. This was the IMAX viewing. And it probably only gained another five or six people after that. So I'd say there were no more than honestly 20 people in the theater um, total. Oh. But, you know, yeah. And I just sat there just chilling at one o'clock on a Friday. Um, and then I just, who was it? Someone was saying something to me. Oh, my, my friend had gone to see it as well. Um, that, what was it yesterday? That's like, yeah, yesterday. And I don't know. It just made me think about it again. And I just went into the same theater and looked and there were, and I sent, I posted in the chat and there were not a whole lot of people there. So they kind of had me concerned because I was like, okay, this is two, two showings that I've seen on Labor Day weekend, and both the theaters were kind of empty. I'm like, is this going to be one of those things where they blame, you know, Shang-Chi for ruining the Marvel Universe or something like that? I was afraid of the numbers. I kept checking the numbers to see it, you know, and I saw that that article about the weekend that it had, and it made me relax. But I, both of my experiences were very few people. Um, there were, 
no, you know, incidents, no noise, no, you know, had my peanut M&Ms in water and I was good to go. <laughs> Both times. Um, yeah. And then I bought some cool shoes after that. But anyway, that's another story. All right, John, talk to me. What was your, what was Iowa like at the theater? Uh, um, first off, if you're going to bill yourself as 50% theater, hold yourselves to that. Because um, <laughs> I went online to buy my tickets just to be, you know, careful. Uh, it's just my wife and I, I should have gone earlier in the weekend, but I figured it was Monday. It's beautiful here. People are going to be outside. Um, I was wrong. Uh, first off, I bought my tickets, so I'm supposed to be able to go right in. I get there and they tell me, no, you have to go to the line to get your tickets printed out. So I had to go stand in line with people. Uh, I get in there and even though I picked my seats, there's people sitting in my seats because it's a free-for-all. No. Yes. So I asked them kindly to leave, and I'm the dick for asking. Um, and then people just decided to sit wherever they wanted to. Uh, masks were probably about 40%. And then the people in front of me decided that, you know, their three-year-old needed to come along. Oh. Oh no! I'm. I mean, I have a. I. I have a one and a half year old. I have a five year old, and I have an eight year old. You don't bring them to these movies if they're that little. And this kid's just wandering around. Uh, at one point in time, he is just standing next to me. That was um, my Thor Ragnarok experience. Part of it, anyway. <laughs> and I. And I, I. And we're in the middle. We there is not an ICU bed free in Iowa City. Um, and my, I'm fully vaccinated. My wife is vaccinated. So we're not, you know, we're not overtly concerned about ourselves, but we have three little kids who are not. And from what the, what the, the seating looked like, it looked like it was going to be fine. It, it's just, nobody's there. Minimum wage high school workers who I know are not going to go in and enforce the policy uh, you know, they're really relying on the civil society, but there is just no civil society right now. And would it kill, and I'm not going to name them, but what you've been closed for almost a year and a half. Would it kill you to clean the bathrooms in that time period? Oh, oh no. I went in and I walked out and I'm like, nope, not doing it. Cause I'm gonna have to buy new shoes and clothes, um, just for being in there. So that being said, I enjoyed the movie immensely. Once it started and once I got the little kid cleared away from me, um, I kind of <laughs> let myself, you know, I like kids. I, I, I have kids. I don't want other kids, other people's kids asking you like me your questions kids. during a movie. <laughs> He's going, what's going on? I'm like, go ask your dad. <laughs> so I guess I just have that, that face that kids want to ask questions. To. <laughs> You're a teacher. I, I, am, I am, but it, 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 I mean, I could go even more. It's just, I got to really rethink Eternals. I, I, I have to, I have to plan. Ahead. Oh, did you see the Shang-Chi uh, 10 rings theory going around that the, the rings may belong to the Eternals. There's 10 rings. There's 10 Eternals. And... I thought we were doing no spoilers, Steve. What the hell is that's this? That's not a spoiler. It's a theory. I, I don't know, bro. I don't that know. was I'm that's close. That's close. Oh, close oh, calm down there, Winnie the Pooh. Hey, 
All right, when, know, you get that, when you get the angry emails, don't be coming at Winnie the Pooh over here. <laughs> Tweet me at dead underscore anchorous on Twitter. I'm just glad I didn't have the Evan Han- Hansen uh, preview like oh, Aaron. Oh, we did. That we totally did. Yeah, that destroyed me both times. I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, why? You know Godwin, look, Godwin looked at me when that was over. It just goes, no. <laughs> uh, it, every time. It just, oh. How old is that actor playing that high school kid? Ben Platt, forty-seven. No, he's 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 like up thirty, I think. He, he looked. He was great on Broadway, but yeah. on Broadway, you're far from the stage. You know. <laughs> oh wow! He looks like the guy trying to sneak back to high school. <laughs> he looks like John Cryer and hiding out, like some Twenty One Jump Street stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hello, fellow kids. <laughs> that's, a, that's a bummer because Dear Evan Hansen is actually a really good show. But like, yeah, every like the second that trailer dropped, everyone was like, you know, we love Ben Platt. But right. come on. <laughs> like, <laughs> Who are you trying to kid? Who are you trying to kid, kid? Mm-hmm. All right. I got the Eternals, Spider-Man, and West Side Story. Yes. Oh, I got, I got West Side looks good. good. Yeah. I think yes. I you know what looks side. ridiculous? Moonfall. Oh, yeah. yeah. I got a trailer oh, for thanks. Moonfall. Yeah, we need, a, we need another... Uh, Roland Emmerich. Roland Emmerich, yeah. Isn't great. that Independence Day, but just with the moon instead? The moon. It's, Arm- yep. it's Armageddon, Deep Impact, When Worlds Collide, Melancholia, the actual, the actual blah, moon. blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. Great. Of I'll course, the moon, the moon, if it were only one quarter closer than it was now, would wreck the Earth without even hitting it. The, the effects on tides and everything else, the science of all this is just uh, – Science. Yeah. This is America. Science isn't real, Bob. That's true. I forgot. I keep forgetting. Oh, boy. All right. Let's get, let's get this back <laughs> on the rails. Uh, Bob, just to let you know, I think your uh, your cricket friend, Jiminy, has joined us once again for no, this week's no. show. No. I, no? I, no, I, it's not me. Really? It's not. I don't hear any. I don't hear. I'm it in a, I'm in I don't room. hear it now. I, I, I did earlier. hear it before. I heard something earlier. I don't know who it is though. I the listeners will know. They'll agree with yeah. me. All right, it's all good. Let's move on. Let's actually talk about the movie, Joey. Since since you have been the Shang Chi champion on this podcast for God knows how long. Yeah. What did you think of the movie? I'll tell you how long because I remember the first time I was like, "Where's my Shang Chi movie at? Where's my?" jimmy woo movie at and it's when we were talking about the casting for iron fist on netflix <laughs> and it was, oh, yeah. it was you me i was one of my first shows and, and bobby and stephanie were still here and bob was here and we were talking about iron fist and it was big it was a big to do and everyone was yelling at each other about the casting for iron fist because it just pissed everyone off and i <laughs> stepped in and i talked about uh, my own kind of mixed mixed background and and being chinese american and stuff and asking like look iron fist is a cool character but i want a shang chi movie and that must have been in 2016 yeah, 16? yeah, yeah, late yeah. 2015 2016 here we are five years later and we finally get this movie a little bit later than we would have liked but um i really i really enjoyed it it was it was everything i wanted and then all of a sudden it was everything i wasn't even expecting i wanted Um, yes yes. and the first time the first time i saw it i i just i watched it 
I loved it. And I, I really love the action. Obviously I've been watching all these Jackie Chan movies and, and Wuja films and things like that hero and crouching tiger and, and all of that. And, uh, in preparation for it. And I really, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I laughed. I didn't cry. I didn't cry the first time I watched it. Love the performances. Um, I wasn't as taken with some of the music, but I thought the fight choreography and the costume design and the, the, the arc for all of the characters were, were, were great. Were really wonderful. Um, hmm. And then I saw it again today and I cried twice and, and uh, I, I don't know, there's just something over those, the three or four days of what, after watching it the first time that like, I really got to like meditate on what, uh, Cretton and uh, who, who wrote it? Um, I should have pulled it up. I'm Here, I'll, I'll, I'll bring Andrew it up. Andrew Lanham, Dave Gallatham, Dave Dave Callahan. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, Dave Callahan and Dustin Cretton. You know what they were trying to do with this movie, and just some of the some of the subtleties and nuances of it just evoked a, an emotional response in me on the second viewing that I didn't necessarily get on the first one. And I was trying to remember the last time that happened. And the last time that happened for me was Captain Marvel. And Captain Marvel did that same thing for me where I saw it the first time and I, I loved it the first time. But the second viewing is when I just like, like cried and had this visceral response to certain moments and scenes and, and little, little, little beats in, in the film. Um, and the last thing I'll say before we can pass it around is, I think I've said this a couple of times over the last year, really, as we've been getting these Marvel shows on, on Disney plus and the black widow and, and this movie, obviously too, that um, they're, they feel different and they mm-hmm. feel different because they're being told by different types of people than we're used to seeing behind the camera and writing the scripts and performing the roles. And, there's a there's a the, what the, the kind of nuances and subtleties that come out of those differences in perspective yeah. are evoking such different responses in, in in than I'm almost used to having at these movies. You know, I'm so I'm so used to watching these uh, superhero movies and directed by these like mid two thousands like action veteran guys you know like like all those guys that like did those movies in like 2007 that like looking back are just kind of like blah you know (laughs) but we've kind of like moved on now to to different storytellers behind the camera um and it's really making me appreciate these they just feel they feel unique and special in ways um and it's it's in talking about it with some of my friends over the last few days that also got a chance to see it that like that you know I, it it I don't know it just it's, it was very special obviously it's it's hard for me to put into words some things because uh, I, I want to hear what you all thought but I, I really loved it I really did and uh, it's a perfect iteration of the character the adjustments that they've made to these characters to bring them to the screen. Um, as I was saying a couple of weeks ago, I think what Gene Lan Yang is doing on the book now, mm-hmm. I think is very much in line with some of those adjustments too. It's obviously different because it's in the comic and they have a history to, to honor. But I think if you love the movie, go check out what Yang is doing on the book because I think, uh, I think it lines up nicely. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just I, got saying, more, I got more to say, but but go ahead, Bob. Uh, just just to chime in on what you're saying, it is those different voices with Black Widow and, and Kate Shortland and, and that whole crew. It's it's Anna Fleck, Ryan Bowden, it's Ryan Coogler. We're, we're coming at these diverse stories with now diverse voices that change the game completely. Yeah, and yeah. that brings in those subtleties that make the difference in what could be regular sort of origin stories. But with, with Widow, you get something different, that deep backstory. With Captain Marvel, they it was the inverse. In essence, you tell her story backwards. We create a Wakanda that just seeing it brought people to tears. And we, not to say the other Marvel movies didn't have huge highlights and great things we all love, but they were, that was a template. That was the typical thing they were doing. We are now breaking new ground and Eternals looks to do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's something with, with, with black Panther and obviously everyone's comparing the two. um, But I I really don't think you can beyond what we were just saying that like, there's something about what Ryan Coogler and black Panther as a character, how it views the idea of, Africa and how I've used the idea of a kind of futuristic um, uh, cultural kind of Afrofuturist iteration of this uncolonized African country, right? That reflects an African-American pining for something futuristic Mm -hmm. and, and, and empowering. Right. And what Shang-Chi does is there's something like, uniquely Asian American and Asian kind of diaspora about it in its pining and framing for a traditional mythological cultural Chinese um, place. And I don't want to get too into it, obviously, because we don't want to talk spoilers, but once the movie takes a very particular turn about halfway through and shifts locations, it reactivated this, this fantasy element in my own kind of soul in my, in my <laughs> deepest soul uh, that, that, that I think really resonated in a way that again is so specifically unique to the, the, the identity of the people telling the story. Um, and it, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, Yes, it is still part of why Shang-Chi was created in the first place and why Shang-Chi was problematic in the first place too, mm-hmm. which is the idea of this imagined Chinese character, the stereotype of the martial arts kung fu, you know, shoeless, you know, fortune cookie saying guy. But it it reappropriates that for for us, for the culture, as we say, uh, you know, and says, no, this is this, 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 this figure, this idea, this idea, this, this, this mythos that, that we want to see ourselves in. Um, and I think it just does a really good job of doing that. And that's putting a lot onto this movie, obviously. Um, but, but for me and for my mom, who is like visiting her four sisters right now, they, they go on these trips all together because, you know, they're, they, they're, yeah, they're crazy. But um, 
they took time out of their trip to go see it. And they were like, we loved it. We loved it. And these are like, these are like, you know, 30, 40, 30-year-old, uh, you know, Asian women, <laughs> yeah. you know, and uh, uh, they they loved it. And I think that's, for someone who like four weeks ago was like, I watched Suicide Squad and it was so dumb and I was violent and blah, 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 to all of a sudden now watch this and rave about it, I think <laughs> is, I think there's something behind that. I like your impression. Of my mom? Phone. Yeah, that is my mom. Uh, ciao. Ciao, what are you doing? Yeah, anyway, we won't get into that, but. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Aaron saw um, it twice, though. What did Aaron think? <laughs> Aaron, what did you think? I thought I was going to see Free Guy. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no. What are all these Asians doing? This is a shocker. This is a different. Ryan Reynolds? <laughs> exactly. Like, what kind what? of video game did he jump into? <laughs> like, who knew? But um, yeah, so I went to go see it twice. So I, you know, there was a couple things that was behind it. And I apologize if we hear someone walking around behind me with their nails clicking on the floor, but whatever. So, I, you know, there was a couple reasons that I was excited to go see the movie. Number one, because it was a Marvel movie and I just missed having that sort of sentiment around it. Number two, because it was um, a, a, a Marvel movie sp- featuring a person of color. And it's because it seemed like everything up till now rested on the shoulders of Black Panther to represent mm-hmm. diversity in the universe. And I, and I felt like that was a disservice to African-Americans, but also a disservice to every other you know, brown person or person of color, you know, you know, in the world um, to, to have all their hopes and dreams of diversity rest on, you know, one movie. So, mm-hmm. you know, there were just so many things that I was, you know, excited about. Um, and as I watched the movie, um, I was trying to blend a couple of things, several things into sort of one experience. Number one, I just wanted to sort of be in an escapist experience. You know, I wanted to sort of have that escapist experience, but at the same time, I really, really had my eyes focused on areas of disrespect, you know, you know, in the film. Um, and obviously my perspective is going to be completely different, you know, or probably slightly different than Joey's is going to be different than, than John's, whatever. So I, I don't know if I was a hundred percent spot on, but you know, I, I, I sort of had that that eye on the film as well. And I felt like the movie delivered in a couple of ways. Number one, I, I was able to just sort of let go and have a really, really, really good time. Hmm. Um, and I think the most respectful thing that the movie did, uh, and from my perspective as a whole, is it did not rely on the proverbial white savior to come in and do something that would shift the the tide or, or, or save the day. At least I did. I don't believe it did. Um, and I thought that was, I, I think that was beautiful um, because we didn't exactly get that in black Panther. There was, you know, a little bit of a colonizer floating around there somewhere, but whatever. <laughs> you know, doing the thing that saved the day at the last minute, but whatever. Um, we, we, we can let it go in the bigger picture. Um, I, I just felt like it just, it, it gave everyone an opportunity, it gave the, gave the audience an opportunity to sort of see this movie and have it be entirely Asian and have it not be this thing where that was called out with every scene 
you know, that this was, it, I just, I didn't think about it after all. We just, it was just the characters. It mm-hmm. was the characters and they were respectful. I mean, I just really enjoyed so much of this movie. And there's a part of me that just wants to see it over and over again to sort of see what different influences I get from how I'm impacted differently each time I view it. Because I feel like I, I even the two times I saw it, I probably didn't get to see or experience everything um, that I probably will. I will say that another thing that sort of, took me a little bit of time to get used to was when something happened. I kept having this reflex to go back and rewind it and, <laughs> and I couldn't yeah. and it was annoying me. It really was bothering me, but I got over it eventually. What kind of ice cream man we got going on back there? Mr. Softy. Nice. <laughs> He's parked oh, at the man. basketball court where there's a whole festival happening behind my house. I don't know that I've ever encountered like a legit ice cream man while living here. That makes me sad. Well, all I'll right. I'll get anyway. you one, but I can't get it to you. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> no, unfortunately. Uh, Aaron, do you contractor ice cream guy around here? <laughs> do you have uh, any other thoughts, Aaron, before we move on to another? Yeah. Uh, we can, you know, we'll continue the conversation. All right. You can, you can move on. Um, I stepped away for a minute. Bob, did you get to give us your thoughts? No. I just was just chiming in with Joey. So for me, I'm with everyone else. I really, really love this. You have really different sort of origin story that tweaks some of the usual tropes. We, we have the lead performances across the board. Just yeah. great. We have, we have a villain. Was a, a villain in quotes at a certain level. He's got a different sort of motive than the usual rule and or destroy the world kind of stuff. A little bit of Mr. Freeze Kang kind of stuff going on. You have that. Chinese mysticism, but you bring in some Lovecraft and throw some Marvel Universe stuff into it, too. Tons of great action that you do the classic Hong Kong wire work with some of the new fight tech, too. But it's those little moments, I think, that really speak to me. That Sitting around the breakfast table, family stuff that really sells everything else that follows around it. You care for these people in their various little odd relationships. In some cases, you know, the, the whole platonic friendship be- between Katie oh, and, 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 and Shung that. That, that we, we don't see much in movies. So, ju- I mean, across the board, just absolutely loved it. And I will probably see it again in the theaters. I will certainly watch it once it's up on the old computer and the disc. Certainly me right off the, off the bat. It is to me in the top tier of the Marvel movies that have come out so far. I could not agree more, John. What uh, what did you think? Aside from your from your yeah, I, theater, theater experience, experience. Yeah. like I said, once the movie started, I I adored this movie. I I when I was back when I was writing for the site, I, I once wrote a piece about how my father brought home a, a box full of old comics that were Luke Cage's and Iron Fist and Shang Chi was in there, and I've loved the character ever since. And once this was announced. And then you saw it all come together and, and who they were bringing in as the cast and the, the directors. It, it, it's a beautiful movie. It, 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 it does so much in its two hours and 15 minutes. Uh, some of those fight scenes are just ridiculously awesome. Oh, my it's God. Got, it's got great cameos. And I, I, I've Aquafina. I'm sorry. I mean, I always see her as the comic relief. And I love her in that, you know, like in... Jumanji 2 or in a, a crazy was it crazy rich Asians you need to see her in the farewell okay and, o- and Ocean's 8 Ocean's okay. 8 she's great I, I, yeah, she's great in that too movies. 
she has so much weight in this movie and and the the character development of of that of that just what she did and how she lent herself to the overall story i know she was our pov character and the, the explaining and so forth but damn she was just charming as hell and so good in this movie and this cast was was just stellar and it went with places i didn't think it i didn't know it was going to go and i the update to to the origin it all works for today and i can't wait to see how they fit this character in with the overall narrative because this movie this movie is one of my top 5 of of marvel movies at this point it's so good that's awesome that's awesome yeah i oh man i don't even know where to start I was just positively blown away by this movie. It was exhilarating. It was a ride. It was so unbelievably good. And it was such a nice movie to see in the theater on like, you know, the 50 foot screen, the big, uh, the big sound system and everything really, really love the direction from, uh, from Cretton. Like I said, some exhilarating action scenes. I don't want to give too many uh, too many of them away, but like there are some key scenes in the first, I'd say maybe half hour of this movie, two in particular, that I was really just, I don't know if it was just being back in the theater and watching something that big, but I was really in awe of some of the camera work that was going on for some of these fights. Because in the last little while, we've gotten, uh, you know, a couple of action movies that have kind of promised one thing and then delivered another. And I'll call it out, even though I enjoyed the movie immensely, but Mortal Kombat has this problem where you have these talented people that have trained and know martial arts and can do the choreography and you can leave the camera on them Mm. as they do it and just keep filming instead of doing quick cut after quick cut to make it look super stylish. There was a lot of like panning and swooping going on and clever ways of kind of weaving in and out of like structures that they were fighting. Like everybody's kind of seen a little bit of the bus sequence in the trailers. Um, That's that sequence as an, as like a kind of like an opener for the movie. Whoa. I was like, if there's going to be more of this and throughout this movie (laughs) and there's, Oh, there's so was, there's so was, there was so much more. There was, there was another sequence, you know, shortly thereafter, that was just as incredible as the bus thing. And I was like, this movie, they're doing they're doing something else with this movie. And I don't mean to say finally, because I don't wanna I don't wanna be like that. I you know that I enjoy all the Marvel movies, but this felt not only did it feel fresh to me, mm-hmm. like fresh voices, fresh perspective, but like the action was fresh. You could you could feel the pedigree, you could see like just the, the complicated nature of some of the, the martial arts that were going on in this movie. And like I said, being stylish about it in that Marvel way, but letting the actors do their thing and keeping the camera on them and watching them do the whole kata or the whole fight or the whole dance or whatever. Um, and there was just some really, really amazing. Anyway, I'm getting uh, away well, from and, myself. And you mentioned it's dance. Funny. Let me just jump in. Michelle Yao. Oh, yeah. Those, yeah. Those, that's a ballet. That oh. is an absolute ballet when she's and she's not lost a step over 
25 yeah. years or 30 years at this point. Michelle and Yow that, straight up tore her ACL on the, like, the first or second day of really? Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, on the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Oh, okay. Oh, no, wow. And then did the movie anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, so the, here's the thing, Steve, to your point about, like, it feels special for the Marvel Universe, obviously, because hmm. we haven't really had a film that looks like this. But I think, you know, for, for like, us old dogs around the table, like the five of us who have seen Jackie Chan films or like saw even, even something like rush hour or something like we're going back to like the nineties stuff. Like we've seen martial arts, like we've seen martial arts films like those, which I think the first half of this movie really liked the bus scene and, and Mm -hmm. and some of the other stuff in the first hour, the bamboo scaffolding. Yeah. Once we move to some of the other stuff that's been in the trailer, like the really bright colored stuff, that's also crouching tiger, hidden dragon hero, like that Wuja inspired. So like, I love that the movie is drawing from these two, lineages of Asian cinema, right? Um, On the one hand, but on the other hand, I think for young people in particular, to your point, I don't think they're familiar with these kind of movies because I can't tell you the last time a legit like martial arts, Hong Kong style film was at an American box office. You know, like we've been, we've had a lot of like born John Wick like style action films for the last decade or so, you know, and the Marvel movies obviously kind of have, have, have adopted that style going back to like winter soldier and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's interesting because I was talking to my friend about it today and he was saying like, I was leaving the theater and a, a bunch of like 12 and 13 year old kids were walking out and they were like shook as the kids. Yeah. They were like, they were like, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. I've never seen anything like that. And it's because they have it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that what the movie does really well is it it pays homage to those two lines of filmmaking that I was just talking about, which, mind you too, are drawn from longer lines of like Hong Kong opera and uh fantasy Chinese fantasy storytelling. Like that that's the lineage there. And it takes those and it and it, it molds them into something that fits nicely into the superhero genre as it's, I think it's accessible. Um, is it, is it perfect? And it's, it's recreation of those two things. Not necessarily. I think it could have, I think he could have kept the camera on a little bit longer. Cause I could tell that there were some beats in the choreography that we were missing in mm-hmm. the cuts. Um, More than I, you normally get though. Yes. And, but that's the thing. Like I was able to follow the action and know what they want. Like they were trying to show us with some of the, the leg catches and things um, that I, I just, I really, I really loved it. Um, and the, Aside from the action, I think the, the performances are different as well. And it goes back to what we were talking about with some of the other the films too, like Black Widow and Captain Marvel um, and WandaVision. Um, you know, when, when you have a, a, a woman behind the director's chair, the types of performances that they get from their actors is different from what a a man might do in the director's chair. And here too, you have these actors that um, are for some of them doing their first Hollywood film, you know, but there's, I'm going to mangle this. Tony, shall we long? Tony long, you know, Tony Tony long. Long, Yeah. yeah. Tony long is, is an incredibly, an incredible actor, you know, go, go watch in the move for love, go watch Trunking Express, go watch infernal affairs. Right. Like, but 
the subtlety and nuance of his acting style mm-hmm. for some of our, let's say less experienced Western film reviewers are calling it affectless and, and kind of like, like, uh, like unemotional. I'm like, did you watch the same movie as I yeah. did? Yeah, Jesus. Like, like there's, and, and obviously that plays into various tropes and we won't get into that, but they're just looking to take it down, man. Yeah. Of course. But then, but even um, my, the breakout for me in this movie, obviously oh, I Simu, know Simu's great. Aquafina is great. But the breakout for me is uh, Mengarjong. Mengarjong yes. 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 as Jialing as is so, so good. Incredible. Um, Absolutely yeah, incredible. But same thing. Mesmerizing. Subtle. So nuanced. So subtle. And I'm always surprised when these big tentpole movies, these Marvel movies, have that degree of nuance and subtlety in it. And I think we've been seeing it more over the last few years as we've gotten more subtle and nuance in who's behind the chair and who's on the screen. So yeah. I, she's she was incredible for me. Um, yes. And and the second time around, just like total breakout total yeah. breakout and this is like her first movie or like i was i saw movie. that yesterday i looked at the credits and i was like damn yeah what a breakout what, like, a, what a breakout break. role it's crazy yeah. um quickly going back to my list here i uh i wrote down like this movie introduces some fantastic new characters and in, in just so many of them uh the complex family dynamics going on in this as well you know like i know there was maybe a little bit of concern of, of going to this type of story for this film. But I think they really sold for me anyway, the family drama, like there were things that happened in this movie that when they happened, I was sad and I didn't, you don't always feel that way towards these types of characters. And it, it, it really struck me. And I think it's because we got into the hearts of these characters throughout the course of this film. You know, there was time for that stuff to breathe and really resonate with you. That's, um, the, that's the full first 125 issues of the, the original book is the family issue, dynamic. Every I mean, issue is the same. Yeah, that's every why. issue is him rebelling against his father. And and believe me, there's always a splash page him telling you about it. But I think what Yang has done in the in the last year reaffirms a lot of that original story. And mm. and I did I did not I the only person I saw credited here was Matt Fraction. I wasn't sure. I why. saw that. Yeah, too. I, yeah. I was yeah. I was shook by that. I, I was shocked. That at that. bothered me. I was like, Wait I don't remember what Matt Fraction ever else? did with Shang Chi, but I have a feeling. Well, never mind. You go ahead. No, I was just saying. I with what's building off what Steve said. The family dynamic has always been the cornerstone of the character, and I thought how they did it here was was magnificent. So to that even same point, I, you know, I was trying to figure out, even while I was watching the film, what it is that is giving me the opportunity to sort of be a little bit more loose and free and relaxed while watching this film. And then I realized um, it's just sort of adjacent to the, the focus on family. And I, I don't I don't want to make everything about the relationship between culture and, and, and race. But I think the the thing that didn't exist in this movie was a positioning of one race versus the other as the good yeah. or the bad guy or an opposition. Yeah. It was sort of all happening in one diaspora. And it was sort of, um, you know, even though we don't look at any culture to be monolithic, it, it, you know, it, it removed, you know, this opportunity to say, well, they're the bad guys or they're the bad guys or this is, a, and so you just got to see the story play out that 
was bonded by a shared culture or, or overlapping cultures and that family relationship and just sort of let all that other stuff go. Even if it's not, you know, overtly written into the script, sometimes it's the subtext is there. And then here it, it just wasn't, you know, there was just not an opportunity to say, see, once again, we got so-and-so coming in here or once again, regardless of what you're on. And I I think that's what gave me, at least as I was viewing it, an opportunity to, you know, to, to, to sort of relax and sort of just enjoy what I was watching from, from every perspective and every angle, the chemistry, the relationships, the opportunities to learn the sort of in the back of my mind, I was thinking, I gotta, I gotta research a little bit of that see what that means, what that's all about, you know, those types of things and not so much focus on, did they get it right? Cause I'm like, yeah. I don't know if they got it right. I, just, we, yeah. I know we were all concerned going in about how you would handle the dynamic with his father and how that had played out in the seventies well, at that point, Marvel did own the rights to Fu Manchu, but that gets into the whole other range of storytelling from the 20s and the racist involved in all that and how you did that. And with the great performance by Tony Long and the recasting of that character as Wen Wu, who is basically, he's been around so long, he's every villain you could ever think of, and they don't even have to mention any of them, and he's just, yeah. he's been yeah. there. And that gravitas that character and that actor brings to that sells the relations with 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 the 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 children his wife his sister-in-law it brings all that home in such a way that it is subtle but so powerful because of that subtlety i think yeah there's the film takes two stereotypical asian stories right like respect for family and like uh you must work hard and do good things right it takes those two like stereotypical things that like i have experienced my whole life right and seen in stories of with people that look like me but also just in conversations with people that look like me and friends whatever but it it grounds them and presents them in such a way that is once as at once totally specific right i i love that the movie first of all i love that this movie they speak mandarin and there's mm-hmm. subtitles for uh, the movie like there's yeah. no there's no i was i was that that shocked me and like i was so i was so pleased with it right like that the film just confidently and boldly just says nah bro like we're gonna speak Chinese read right <laughs> like, <laughs> sorry you know like um that so it, it is unapologetically Asian in that sense and the way that like it's the the like Katie's grandma and the lovely scenes at the beginning of the film mm-hmm. but it's also in, immensely universal right like Katie's you know inability to to reach her potential in the film and, and that kind of grasping at that I've seen read on the internet as like, yeah, of course it's an Asian story, but it's a millennial story, right? Like it's mm-hmm. all of these things that people are connecting with. Right. And the family drama isn't presented as like, respect your father. Like again, to your point, Bob, what Tony Long's when Wu is actually motivating him is much more nuanced than that. And his efforts to connect, re- connect with his children, if you can call it that yeah. 
are so multiplicitous in its in its reasoning that it, it it complicates these tropes and these complicates these narratives that like I remember when the trailer came out and I showed it to the, our, my students because we were doing that seminar on Asian superheroes and they were like but wait a minute the respect your father thing is just another Asian stereotype and I was like you're right but now watching the film you realize that there's mm. so much more care yeah. and complexity to that yeah. um, that that you know, I, I, it's like, it's like, this isn't a movie that like this movie is, um, I, go ahead. I can't even, it's, it's, it's surprising. I mean, for me, one other, um, quick thing that I want to mention, we were talking a little bit about, uh, Katie's character before and the, the platonic nature of their relationship. I was really, really pleased with the way that they, handled the two of them that we were able to have a relationship in this movie where you had two friends that you know cared very deeply for one another and it didn't end in kisses and true love and it might you know it might well it it could and And i would i would love if you build that right that's what i'm saying like this movie that would be right yeah i realized that this is this movie and black widow and captain marvel all three of them did not have an explicit romantic arc. And I loved no. it. Yeah. And that that's surprising to me. And I was talking to my friend today and, and he was like, I don't know if that's like a Disney thing. <laughs> and I was like, or there's actual care going into these stories now. And they're not relying on these kind of like very conventional storytelling modes. They're telling different kinds of stories mm-hmm. that don't rely on those, those pillars, those, those, um, uh, crutches rather that, right. that like, you know, that, that these movies have done in the past. Right. And I'm going to be honest with you going all the way back to the beginning, Tony and pepper were would they, would they, will they, won't they until the end of the second film, you know? Yep. And I, I would love to see that kind of long-term storytelling. And I'm already, I'm already invested in their mm-hmm. relationship, their friendship yeah. and their kind of like side glances at each other when they're in peril or when, you know, someone doesn't have a shirt on or whatever, you know, like <laughs> yeah. there's, there's something that, that there's something there that you get invested in. And, and it's much more, again, I just keep saying the word, but I, it's just so meaningful to me, but there's subtlety and nuance to it that, these movies are maturing and growing in a way Mm -hmm. and telling the kinds of stories that we want to see. And it's really interesting too, because after the first viewing, I was like, of course they didn't give the Asian lead a romantic angle because there is this long history of asexual Asian. I thought about that. I thought about that. And over the weekend I was thinking about it, but then I watched it again and you actually realize that's not true. He just has a much more real relationship <laughs> with the, his friends and the people around him and a much more emotional and vulnerable relationship with these people that could grow in any way. Yeah. And, and, and what I'm realizing is even when we were like, wow, this movie is great. We still too often fall victim to looking for these tropes and stereotypes yeah. and sometimes miss the, the, the complexity that, the storytellers and here the very capable storytellers are trying to, to have us experience. I'll be honest with you. I think the absence of that trope was a strength of this movie because let's yeah. be, let's be honest with let's, let's not to compare franchises, but that is the most ridiculous aspect of any bond movie after what is near, damn near 30 bond movies. 
he <laughs> keeps finding each movie the, his true love, and it's a different person every movie. <laughs> and they use it as well. Um, of course. He, you know, of course. He finds love. I don't know that he finds well, true love. Vesper, yeah. maybe, which goes well, back I mean, to the beginning. Uh, Tracy from Majesty's Secret Service. Actual love for James Bond? No. I don't know. Yeah, it's just, but this, this. But you, you run like through the angle. Yes, yes, absolutely, exactly. absolutely. It, yeah, it takes up space. Yeah, in the film that doesn't need to be taken up in, the, yes. in that genre of this film, and I think that they made a smart choice mm-hmm. in giving a relationship a powerful, you know, you know, displaying a very powerful relationship. Actually, a very a series of very powerful relationships, you know, in the film that didn't have to draw away from the film's momentum by the obligatory, you know, bed scene or the, the morning after scene, or the, is this awkward scene or the whatever. Yeah. Um, mm. I feel like that was useful space. That space was mm. utilized, you know, well enough for other things without completely eliminating the possibilities or, or, you know, moving forward. Um, but if it does happen moving forward, now you at least – have a foundation for yeah. you know where it began. You yeah, know, totally. Perfect. There was there was enough fa- family dynamics and emotional turmoil with with this you know his sister and and his father. You didn't need to add anything else to the mix. Uh, it would have been distracting to to the oh, overall totally. narrative. So yeah, I, I mean, if they build to it in the future, that's great. But if I mean, they don't, that's great too. That's fine. Yeah. See, and, the and, thing is though, is that after after building such a solid foundation. I not only would I trust them to handle it well, but yeah. I would look forward to seeing how they execute it. Yeah, totally. And it might be even better if they don't. It, it, yeah, it well, might, yeah, I mean, th- there's that, yeah. that too. Um, I just overall, I'm, I'm, I couldn't, I could not have been more pleased yeah. with this movie. It, it really, really did blow me away, and I, I can't wait to own it and watch it over and over and over again. And I just, it's. You know, I know that I, I I get excited and everything's my favorite thing right after I see it and whatever. But I just I do agree that it is in the top tier of Marvel's films, and it just it refreshed me in a lot of ways. And it it I felt like an odd sense of pride in it because I know that this movie means a lot to a lot of people, and especially you know to people that I care about. And there I was. I wasn't. I wouldn't say that I was looking for flaws and that I was looking for things, but I was definitely paying attention enough to be like, "Oh man, is Disney gonna like gonna Disney this up at, at, in one way or another?" Um, and they and and I, I really was just kind of in awe of how um, how well everything was was pulled off and and represented. I mean, and, and granted, I might not might not know as much as as the, the next person, but. Just from where I, from where I was sitting, this was an amazing experience, yeah, and I just mean, a hell of a hell of a way to bring this character into the MCU. Oh yeah, yeah. So just quick sidebar: Did anybody walk out of this movie wondering or, or wishing what they could have done with Iron Fist? Well, <laughs> I think, and again, I don't want to get too much. Yeah, into I didn't want to get into it, but that spoilers. was my first thought. But there's a scene in this movie, a little, a little bit of an exposition dump in this movie, that mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, guess we're doing some Iron Fist stuff." But <laughs> that's what I thought too. <laughs> because we're doing some Iron, and maybe that's why Fraction was consulted. But we won't get into that. But 
you know, there, there was, uh, there's an exposition dump when I was like, mm-hmm. this is Marvel being like, I know we did the Iron Fist thing, but we're going to really do the cool stuff of Iron Fist here. <laughs> uh, right. And, um, you know, to be honest, I, I look, I also love Iron Fist. I really yeah. do. I'm but glad it's not here. I, this is so much better. Yes. I mean, like just the character and its mm-hmm. its contribution to the mythos of the Marvel universe. I think is just so much cooler than trying to trying to do that. You know, um, even if you got someone who would be like perfect for the role, like Louis Tan, or um, oh, there's this other guy, like someone who is you know of mixed heritage to yeah. kind of navigate that. Which I also talked about on that 2016 episode of yep. the podcast. Go back and listen to that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, you can't do Iron Fist now. I mean, they've ruined it, but if they would have held on to that and waited, I think it'd be more beneficial now. Yeah. Especially if they cast it, it differently. They just got to hire me to get put it. But anyway, yeah. like <laughs> the, the one thing, yeah, the, 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 the thing that I also loved about this is Steve, you were looking for kind of, you said you were kind of like, well, what's, what's, what's going to be the thing, right? Uh, yeah, uh, I just, you know, uh, like I know uh, Disney can, can sneak stuff in yeah. there or they can just be tone deaf with certain things. The thing that I was concerned about is this movie started day one of shooting February, 2020. Mm-hmm. Like that's when they started this movie <laughs> and within four weeks they were shut down, you know, uh, for COVID and they didn't start back up again until like, like last summer. So the turnaround on this movie is insane, right? That they were able to get this movie together and out in such a quick time, especially given the precision of it, you know, like that's what I love about this. You know, I was like, Oh, maybe like, it's going to cut like miserable sloppy or things going to be a little rough here. But then I was like, but then I was like, Oh, like these are actual like designs and figures in. Have you seen Jungle Cruise? Absolutely not. Jungle Cruise is a boat, a harbor, and green screens. Oh yeah, and and so that's what I'm saying. Like so much care went into the training of the actors. A lot of them are doing their own stunts or as much of the choreography as possible. The face replacing on the stunts, I think, is great. The character designs for the mythological creatures amazing um, oh amazing. my god yes and act like actual for those that are wondering like the like the the one the, the breakout little little morris. animal little morris break, breakout morris who you'll meet if you when you watch the movie is an actual despite its kind of design is an actual figure in chinese mythology and obviously the, the a lot of them were, were weren't they all yeah. of them were and okay, the, dra- okay. the dragon that we've seen in the trailers, and obviously there were theories about blah, 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 blah. Hmm. Um, <laughs> the dragon that we see in the trailers is a, a, a much more authentic representation yeah. of a dragon in Chinese mythology. Yeah, I was hoping than, to have shorts on, but you know. Yeah, little, well, little which, which in retrospect, <laughs> which in retrospect would have been like, that's kind of messed up. <laughs> like, yeah. like for the, in, in the context that it happens, right. it would have been like, that's kind of messed up. Now, does it open the... That's that's the thing I want to say about this movie before we we move on, and I get some tea. Uh, the, the thing I want to say about this movie is it is so unapologetic in not only the performances and the stunt choreography and the martial arts, but in how fantastical it becomes. 
as the movie goes on, right? Like this movie goes to places that I was not expecting at all. And for people yes. that think that the trailers gave away too much, no, no, absolutely no. Not. like the movie starts and I was like, wow, we already saw all of that. <laughs> like, like it's all done. So I, I just loved it. I loved how bold it was like in doing hmm. what, it, what, whatever the hell it wanted to do. Um, and it's, it sets up so many wonderful um, threads to be continued in an inevitable sequel to this film. But as we were saying, where these care, whether this character yeah. goes in the future, such cool story locations too. Yeah, totally. You know, you, I, there, this, but this movie went to a, a number of places that I didn't, I didn't expect to go. I had only seen the first trailer. I didn't see any of the TV spots. I didn't see anything after that. And so there was a lot of this movie that was brand new to me. And it was constantly like subverting my expectations and bringing me to a different place and introducing me to characters I didn't know were in the movie. And it was like, oh, hey, it's that person. Oh, wow. Like they're going to be in this movie for a while. That's fun and things like that. And it was just it was such a joy to watch it. That'll be my my final thought because we do need to to move on from the Shang-Chi talk. Yeah. But um, does anybody f- final thoughts around the table? Uh Joey, you are, you've already. I've said a lot, but I just wanted to read an email very quickly from our friend yeah. Jesper in Sweden, our, our, our Swedish our Swedish nerd fan, as he likes to sign off all his emails. He he sent an email to us, and he was like, "Hey, TC crew, I just came home after seeing Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, and I had to talk to someone about it." And first of all, he sent this to us on September first, and I was like, "Man, how did you get that movie before us?" But anyway. <laughs> um, he said, I wasn't overly excited going into this and I don't really know the character. And I didn't love the trailers, but he really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, he said, this is probably the best fight choreography in the MCU. He was highly entertained. The villain wasn't generic as he was expecting. Um, and he gets into a little some spoilers here, so I won't read it. Um, loved Aquafina as uh, he, he was afraid of how they would handle Aquafina's character as either comic relief or a shallow love interest, but she had real heart and depths to her. Um, uh, he wants to, he's looking forward to hearing her thoughts. So I was listening. Um, and he wants to know, do you feel that this was a fair representation of the Shang-Chi character? And if we think Aquafina's driving skills was a big F you to the old BS stereotype <laughs> about Asians and women not being able to drive. <laughs> amazing. I didn't even think of that. That's amazing. Um, that was a, just a hilarious thing. Um, and I will say to answer his question, I think it is for fans of the Shang-Chi comic. It's not the Shang-Chi from the comics. But I think it's is it more than does respect and honor to that whole corner of the Marvel Comics universe and elevates it nicely into the the cinematic one. Yeah, great blending of yeah. the two. All right, Bob, how about you? Any final thoughts? Yeah, people should go spend real money to see this in the theater. We want this to make as much money as possible. I know it's beaten expectations, but we need need the box office to be really big to make sure that Marvel continues to try new things. Yes. Absolutely. Make sure you're safe before you go, what your, what your theater conditions are, but absolutely. Uh, Aaron, any final thoughts from you? Simo, I'm following you on Instagram now. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) The the thirst, the thirst. (laughs) I'm just saying, because let me tell you. Um, Anyway, anyway, no, I think um, 
the the hurdle that this film got over was divorcing itself from a lot of the the movie um, frameworks, you know that that you know we've become so accustomed to, and you know being able to sort of double down on the idea that you don't have to have a white centerpiece to to make money, you know, as a as a movie as a property. So I am, you know, let's continue let's let's continue to prove that point and get us another billion dollar film and you know continue to show the rest of the movie industry you know the value of the entire audience that's right that's right john how about you i just gotta say if you haven't seen this movie and it's safe to go please go see it It, it's wonderful and having you know as we enter phase four the first movie was a female lead second movie is an asian lead i love the bold new direction of the mcu and and I applaud them for, for going forward and, and making diversity matter. All right. All right. Could not agree more. Uh, Joe, right, before, Mr. He, Joey. before he goes, oh. I just want to throw one thing at you. Uh, Destin Daniel Cretton wrote and mm-hmm. direct a really lovely indie movie that I think you everyone would- Short Term 12? Short Term 12. Realizing? Yeah. Love that movie. Love <laughs> that movie. Of course I've seen that movie. Uh <laughs> My my last thought before I leave, y'all. My mom just texted me in, about Shang Chi, and it was she said she sent the headline, you know, Shang Chi blast Labor Day records and it's <laughs> oh, yes. point four million dollar debut. It says that's those are some crazy rich Asians. <laughs> <laughs> wow. On that note. Oh, <laughs> all right, Joey. Thanks, thank you for thanks for coming by the pod. We're gonna cut you loose, and we're actually gonna take a little break. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk about some comics, a uh, little bit of news, and we'll go through some questions real quick. We are back. Let's do some lightning rounds. Um, I'm going to go first this week. I know. Look out. Uh, Harley Quinn, the animated series, the Eat, Bang, Kill Tour, number one. This is written by T. Franklin, art by Max Sarin, colors by Marissa Louise, and letters by Taylor Esposito. So Joey brought this to the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I was wondering where this book was because he talked about it and I'm like, what the hell? How'd you how did you read a DC book so early? So maybe it was on the the DC Infinite it. What's that? It was on DC Infinite. Oh okay. So if it, it finally came out for everybody else, for all of us Canadians specifically. <laughs> but uh this is a perfect complement to the animated series. It's a tremendous amount of fun. It's also very emotional. It explores Poison Ivy's character quite a bit and how she's settling into her new relationship with Harley. It was, you know, quite the devastating thing for her and Kite Man to call it quits and her run off with Harley. And that was a whole thing. And so this book is exploring that. And it's very cool because while we're waiting for the third season to come out, we have this series. I thought that this was a one shot. I totally did not know that this was continuing. I have no idea how long it goes, 
but there's definitely going to be more of this. Uh, this book also gets a little steamy, so be prepared for that. It's nothing graphic, but there's a whole lot of like bedroom gymnastics going on in this book. And it was nice to see the characters cut loose and to see the creative team, to see that they were given permission to take the story to those places. DC's got a problem with Batman going down on Catwoman, but they certainly don't have a problem with Harley and Pam doing it. So it kind of makes you think. Anyway... Uh, This was just so much fun. Fans of the animated series should absolutely pick this up. The art by Max Saren is just so, so good. Matches these characters, the facial expressions that you got, that you get from Max Saren from the, the giant days universe and everything. All of that is in here and it just adds to the characters so, so, so much Uh, visually and story-wise, just they knock it out of the park. This is a really, really great issue, and I'm looking forward to the other ones. Uh, the Many Deaths of Layla Star, number five, written by Ram V with art by Felipe Andrade. Uh, Andrade? Andrade? I always said Andrade, but it might be Andrade. This is, okay, this is the final issue. It's over. It's powerful, it's poignant, and it's life-affirming. For me, it was the kind of story that after I was done reading it, I I literally just sat in the dark and, well, not in the dark. We have like a cosmic light in our room that that projects like all these different constellations, colors and nebulas and stuff. And um, I'm just sitting in the room and Bronwyn and the cat are in bed. They're asleep. And I was just kind of looking at the both of them, not creepily, but taking stock in kind of all the great things that I have and the fact that my life is that I'm in a good place, you know, that I've got great friends. I have, you know, just an incredible partner uh, throughout life and everything. And this book brought a lot of that to the front for me that night that I read this story. Uh, It's a perfect ending for this and I really can't wait for people to read it now that it's complete because it will make you think and it will make you feel things and those are always my favorite types of stories and comics and this was just such a treat all throughout and uh, they really bring it home for this this final issue and uh, last but not least I want to talk about Mamo from Boombox it's either Mamo or Mamo it's M-A-M-O and I read issues numbers one and two, and this is by Sass Millage. Joe's mom has become sick with a mysterious illness, and so she goes in search of Mamo, also known as the Witch of Harrisden. There's a problem, though. Mamo is dead, and the only witch left in the area is her granddaughter, Orla. As it turns out, Mamo's death has upset the balance of Harrisden, and now the boundaries of the village are shifting, and the Fae have become restless and vengeful. I don't know what it is with my thing with reading vengeful Fae stories within the last little while, but they keep finding me. Uh, Now it's up to Joe and Orla to restore order, but it's not going to be easy. I'm loving this series. The art is very whimsical and nostalgic. It kind of reminds me of a cross between Cartoon Saloon's The Secret of Kells and Hayao Miyazaki's Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind or Princess Mononoke. The Valley of Harrison is also really, really breathtaking. Every part of it looks like it's infused with old magic. There's 
always a slight breeze carrying things on the wind and carrying characters toward their next destination on this kind of scavenger hunt for magic that they go on in the story. I'm also enjoying the character chemistry between Joe and Orla. Orla's talents have gone unused for a long time, and so she's finally getting to show her strength now that she's the new witch of Harrisden. Her relationship with the people there is also really complicated. So they didn't exactly like her grandmother Mamo, and so there's a bit of prejudice going on uh, against witches in general, and Orla is kind of left to prove them wrong and isn't really interested in doing that. Uh, It's a really interesting dynamic between her and the townspeople. Um, But that's not the case for Joe and her family. And Orla is slowly beginning to learn that not all people are bad and that maybe she should stick around until the job is done. Uh, These issues are also double sized. So there are, they're like, the second issue was something like 57 pages. So the story has a lot of room to breathe and to develop the setting and its characters and just show you these really, really gorgeous renderings of the valleys and the the township that you're in. And um, it's also a little creepy at times, even though it's not a creepy book by any stretch. But there's this one moment where Joe brings Orla to her house and Joe's little sister comes down the stairs and she looks up at Orla and she tugs on her on her her pants or whatever and she looks up and she's like, are you a witch? And Orla's like, yes, I am. And she just very flatly says to her, can you tell the lady in the attic to go away? And I just... <laughs> it creeped me the F out. And I love that there was this little moment of chill in in this otherwise really magical, really gorgeous book about witches and magic and trying to basically erase your family's bad name by going around this this township and solving people's magical problems and writing the boundaries that have begun to shift and kind of restoring order in this place that has lost that. And it's only two issues in, but it feels like so much more because there's so much story there. And um, it's a little late in the year, but this is this is another standout uh, for me. And this is, came from uh, Boombox, by the way. But yeah, it's, uh, it's called Mamo, M-A-M-O. And uh, that's me. Yeah the, the Har- yeah, the Harley book comes out officially in print next week. I, I uh-huh, I'm okay. hoping. I just finished the second season, literally just before I came on the air, and I can't wait to see the continuation of that story. That was done so, so crazily good, so not so Amanda and Jimmy version of, of Harley in a way that the books haven't captured in a very long time. So I'm very... Very happy to hear that the book passes muster for you. It really captures those voices from the animated series specifically. I mean, it's it's designed to like the, even the, the character designs, um, Gordon and all of that is is ripped right out of the television show. But it does it so successfully that it really does feel like you're watching the show when you're reading this. And I can I cannot express enough how incredible a match Max Saren is for the world of Harley Quinn and that animated universe specifically, it is, it just, it sings. It's so good. You're going to, you're going to love it. When I saw her name in the solicitations, I thought the same thing. Couldn't be more perfect. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, anybody have any other questions or comments? Mamo, death of uh, the many deaths of Lila Star. Yeah, I have to read Lila Star. I have, I'll get you there. will. I know. I'm planning. I, re- <laughs> I finished it. Yeah, I read. I finished the whole series. Yeah, I enjoyed that book. Um, you know, it's something that's a complete. No matter what else you're reading, is a complete left turn. So I actually just really. You know, it's a very quiet story. It didn't you know there wasn't the, the, the the I guess the the build up the arc that you get with so many other stories of you know there's this point of tension and this point it was just a very quietly told story that had you know uh, it was sort of rung to a ladder and it just sort of you know you got to the top and that was pretty much it and yeah it just goes on from there. I enjoyed it. I love that it was a story about death coming to terms with with death. And having to experience itself differently and over such a, a long period of what would normally be a mortal life and getting to see kind of their the character that they originally sought to destroy grow up and, and, and how the story ends and what the, the conclusions that are, you know, these characters arrive at at the end, I thought was really beautiful and, you know, there were some great lessons to be learned about just taking the time to stop and look around and, you know, breathe and, and appreciate the yeah. people that you love. And, you know, you can be you can be rich in life in many different ways, whether it be through, you know, a, a, a true love partner or, you know, incredible friends, found family, however you choose to live you know, you should appreciate those things. So at least that's what I got out of it. It was a good story. I really, really yes. Yes. Indeed it was. Okay. Let's, let's have John go. All righty. I'll start in the Marvel universe with dark ages. Number one. So this is Tom Taylor. uh, Ivan Coelho. Uh, Brian Reber on colors and VCs Joe Sabino on letters. So this is Marvel's latest alternate reality event miniseries that answers the questions of what would happen if the lights went out on the Marvel Universe. Spoiler, it's not good. Um, this issue is the setup uh, issue uh, and kind of sets paves the way for the rest of this story. Uh, explains how the power goes out. Um, and told through the eyes of Spider-Man, Tom Taylor has a, you know, he's just, he's becoming a, a pod favorite, I think, but he's really just got a, a, a down to earth storytelling style. Uh, this story is centered around the unmaker, which is a cosmic Marvel villain created for the story, um, who was imprisoned century or millennia ago, actually, um, and is waking up and causing, chaos throughout the marvel universe um uh, it has a great cliffhanger sets up where the story's going uh, i love tom taylor uh, when he did deceased at, at dc um this has a similar obviously a different story narrative but a similar feel and, and i'm always a sucker for a good alternate reality elsewhere's elseworld story and, and this feels like it's a good one um, then let's go to Batman Superman number 20 and 21 and plus the 2021 annual. So this is, uh, the main story, Gene Luen Yang, Yvonne Reese, Danny Mickey on inks, and then Sabin Rich colors and Seda Temafonte on letters. 
So Batman, Superman 20 and 21 are the final two chapters of the archive of worlds uh, arc. Uh, this is a retro feel comic uh, and it's all coming together over these last two issues. If you remember a few months ago, uh, both Joey and I brought this up that uh, uh, a new villain Arturo IO had created copies of, of Batman and Superman and created their own uh, nostalgic worlds. Batman's is a very dark 1930s era. Uh, Superman's is a very sci-fi, bright, colorful 1950s era Superman. Uh, and throughout the six-issue arc, uh, the Man of Tomorrow and the Dark Knight have been trying to uh, foil the plans of Arturo and save all of the all of the um, uh, archive of worlds as it's becoming known. Uh, this is, these are just some great stories. Uh, Yang's Batman Superman has been an incredible read. Um, you got some great classic feel uh, nostalgic stories here. And Yvonne Reese, his, his artwork, uh, if, if it, it, it's, a very, it's an homage to Neil Adams. Uh, he's changed his style. Uh, and and it, it just has a beautiful, beautiful look to it. And thankfully, the 2021 annual, Yang is joined by Paul Pelletier, Mick Gray, and Hi-Fi for a Batman World of Tomorrow uh, story where Batman and Robin, Robin travel to the idyllic world of, of, of uh, Gotham in Superman's World of Tomorrow. And here they're sent to help a Commissioner Gordon deal with his growing list of rogues including Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Bizarro Two-Face. Uh, it's a very fish-out-of-water story within a dark, uh, within where a dark night is in a very bright world. But the, the true gem of this annual is Yang joined by Francesco Francavilla on a Superman story. Uh, Superman in the world of the night. Uh, Superman is summoned to a very dark and macabre metropolis. Uh, where Lex Luthor, the mad genius warden of Arkham Asylum, is attempting to take over the world. Uh, this annual has the pre-world's finest. Uh, I mean, I don't. We I, none of us were alive when, uh, uh, prior to uh, Batman and Superman being first created, they didn't share continuity for almost 20 years. Uh, and then once they did, they kind of pigeonholed them together. But this. This annual feels like the, those those classic stories of where they're really just trying to uh, bring these the world's finest together. Um, it's great storytelling. Frank Avila's art is spectacular. Batman's rogues gallery has never looked so creepy. Uh, and this is really what an annual is meant to be. It, it is meant to augment the main series uh, and, and and not be some you know event within an event within an event, uh, which they too often seem to be. Uh, staying in D.C., uh, I read Batman, Fear State Alpha, uh, James Tinian, Ricardo Federici, Chris Sotomayor on colors, and then Clayton Cowles on letters. Uh, this is a precursor to the Fear State, which begins in Batman this week. Uh, if you've been reading Batman recently, the the Scarecrow has been kind of... Uh, Lurking in the background, uh, you have uh, uh, Saint Industries that are that are piloting the magistrates, uh, which were very prevalent throughout the future state. Um, this this book kind of sets up where everybody is. 
You got Batman being uh, controlled by the Scarecrow. You got Harley uh, leading uh, a group of, of people to the underground as she tries to reach out to Ivy. Uh, Oracle's uh, program has been co-opted and is sending out false information. And the Bat family is rallying to Gotham to try and save it yet again. And we've talked a lot about how Gotham is not the place you want to live. This story is building off of that because the fear state is actually part of the Scarecrow's doctoral thesis of how to make a better society through fear. And this, this, I just like the X-Men can do a great event at Marvel, Batman can do a really great event at DC. And I'm looking forward to where this goes and as it ripples through the Batverse. Um, the artwork here is a little bit of a departure from Jorge Jimenez on the main book, but it's still really good and, and sets a creepy vibe that this, this event needs. And then my final little bit here, uh, I had the chance this weekend to sit down and watch the first four episodes of this, this, uh, Titans, HBO max Titans from where this series started to where it is today. This is a lot of fun. Uh, it, it's darker than your average uh, CW, DC uh, series. I love that they've just embraced uh, the the costumes and, and the, the super heroics. Uh, I, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but uh, the man who plays Nightwing is awesome. Uh, Hawk and Dove. Oh, oh, Hawk and Dove. Is that uh, Brendan Thwaites or something yeah, like that? Yeah, something like yeah. That Brendan Thwaites. 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 We're, we're butchering his name, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, they have Superboy, but it, it, they don't like it, it, Superboy is not the you know the the savior of everything. It's just it's a lot of fun. Uh, you got the Red Hood and Scarecrow as the big bads this season. I I, I don't remember how much I enjoy this series until I'm watching it. And I really wanted to bring it to the table because if people have checked out on this, come back for season three because you got Barbara Gordon. They're in Gotham. You got you got part of the the Batman has left left Gotham in a, in a in a very unique way, but a way that makes sense because I I would have done what Batman did years before. Um, uh, it, it's just it's just fun. I love that DC takes the chances on these shows. Their movies might not always be the greatest things, but they they put a lot of effort into these TV shows, and, and I appreciate it. And this is a good one, and I'm done. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. All right. Okay. And I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I'm going to say it. Is it possible to have too much Scarecrow? Are we not... I feel like Scarecrow has been a, the bat villain forever at this point. I I feel like he's been the past two years. I, I would say he's been more prevalent. Um, but like in this recent run, we've gotten, oh, him, we've gotten yeah. so much of him in, in Tinian's run and then entering the fear, like because fear state looks like it goes on for a while. There's it, a lot of books associated with this. It, thing. it goes on for a while, and and it's Tinian's swan song. Um, I think he's been lurking in the background, and the way the narrative has been, it's been, it's it's very king like. It's been told out of chronological order. Um, 
I, but I, I think that there's been other antagonists and he's just kind of been there in his creepy new costume with all the wicker, right. which is actually brought up in this, in this issue. Um, I, I, I think that I, I'm hopeful that it's a good story. And, and then I think that just like Bane went away for a while and I'm thinking the scarecrow can be put away for a while too. Maybe it's just because he's been kind of in the background yeah. of all these stories that it feels like he's been a part of the focus for, for what feels like months and months. Yeah. And Don't the, get me wrong. I love yeah. Scarecrow as a villain. He's, he's definitely near my top favorite Batman villains, if not my favorite, but I just, I, I read fear state and I, and I enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to whatever it is. I decide to pick up for the mm-hmm. event. Cause like I said, it is, very big yeah. and I don't know what I'm going to get and not get from it just yet or um but I would like to see some other stuff explored and yeah. soon yeah okay. I think once Williamson comes on uh, after Tinian I think we'll, we'll go in different directions um and then bring clayface back <laughs> yeah why not I, but I think also this new scarecrow look is so distinctive. It's, it's so, so good. creepy that yeah. I, I think it draws you in uh, versus the previous incarnation or look. It's definitely one of the coolest designs they've yeah. had for the character. It's a great update. Great update. Yeah. 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 It's very, it's, it's cool. I mean, I, I just, I'm just saying what I feel. Oh no, I just hear you. I, I hear you. You know, yeah. just a little bit, just a little bit like, you just a too much. I like it. I just checked back into Titans. Well, he checked in. He's checking out Titans. I'm sorry. For the first time, he started at season one. He keeps pinging me. He actually pinged me literally just before we started recording about, you know, things that he's seeing in the show. Um, He hates Hawk and Dove for whatever reason, but um, uh, he's, he's in the first part of the season though. Okay. The first part of season one. Um, And he also, I should say, he doesn't have the comics background. So I okay. think he, he's he's he reads them because he knows me and several of our friends are in the comics. So he I mean, he watches these shows rather, and he watches them from the perspective of someone who just wants to watch a show about these things. Um, but what's interesting is that I was telling him the same thing as I you know we talked about I think the last time we talked about Titans, and that was sort of just get past you know a certain point and maybe go into season two. I didn't watch all of season two, but I sort of did a critical path of it and just sort of watched certain episodes. And actually, mm-hmm. some, sometimes I just watched parts of certain episodes um, based on what I was reading, just so I understood where they were going with the story. And it does seem like it, it picked up really well. The one thing, the only thing that I think has been a series-long thread that is not specific to this series, but is just a, a annoyance of mine, and I've said this on the show a couple of times, I'm just tired of all the people that are in the Batman universe blaming him for everything that they have chosen to do. So either you are, you know, either he's a predator who convinced you to do these things, which means that you would think you would stop doing them, you know, Mm -hmm. if that was the case, or, you know, he gave you skills to do things that you, you know, you know, would yeah. like to continue to move forward. I, it's not a perfect solution. I know it's not that black and white, but it's just the story of, you know, Bruce made me this, 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 and this, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm, I, I'm able to do things that no one else can do, but I hate him for putting me in this situation. I'm like, well, then why are you st- <laughs> It's the same thing with like, even when Batman, the certain versions of Batwoman, I'm like, and yet you call yourself Batwoman. And you go out there. 
you go out there, you have the bat on your, your costume. You are mm-hmm. literally in a costume that is just like a, a female version of his. Why, why are you all there? Like do your own thing. Call yourself pigeon girl yeah. or something. I don't know. Figure, figure <laughs> something out. But the, the wombat, I don't know. Figure something out. <laughs> Deflator mouse. Um, exactly. It's a rat. <laughs> but it's just, it's just that it seems like that is the story that, and I get it because yeah. people, have, you know, from day one have always said, I don't understand how this guy keeps luring these underage people, you know, into the mix. I get that, but it's a story that just keeps playing out and it's frustrating because it never comes to a solution or resolution. It just sort of hangs there with yeah. this constant anger and blame towards him. Well, I will say that this season, I think Nightwing Dick's come to accept a lot of it in, He's more in the position of it, it's and as we you know, it's I'm starting to parent my parents. It's like he's trying to get Batman to maybe stop going out and doing everything. But Jason, Barbara, very much so are in the vein of what you're you're bringing up here. And that's one of the, the cornerstones of the series so far this season. It's like either you were a. Uh an able-bodied adult, mm-hmm. you know, of sound mind, able to choose at some point when you were going to walk away and stop or you're not, and yeah. you're just a puppet. So which, which are you admitting to being? But anyway, that's just a sort of, I think everything else though, like I really love the Wonder Girl arc. I love, you know, I always love Beyonce Fire. Oh um, yeah. She's been so great this season. I, I, I <laughs> you say Beyonce Fire. Well, you, Beyonce have Fire. you not watched it, Steve? I've seen the first season. It makes sense. And I, I, I was actually surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I just really liked it. I I'm, I I do agree with you. I like that they went full superhero. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just a fun, fun show. Um, yeah. I, I, gotta, I think I'm going to start with season three. I'm, I sort of told him, okay, because he, he's been burning through it like pretty quickly over the last week and a half. So I'm like, all right, tell me when you're about to start season three, then we'll do this thing together. This is the first one that's like strictly HBO Max, and it does yeah. have a little bit it, it, I'd say the production's a little bit better. That's good. Yeah. I'll have to bake some time for that in between uh started watching Only Murders in the Building with oh, um, watch that. Yeah. Selena Short. Gomez and Steve Martin and Martin Short. Yeah. It's outstanding. It is very good. That's on my highly list. recommend it. All right. Okay. Um, actually, wait. I think I had uh, had some comments for you, or maybe I didn't. Some Batman no. Superman stuff. No, I need to get caught up with Batman Superman. I haven't checked in. That's a dense book for me. It is. It is. Like I, I definitely want to. That's the kind of thing where I want to go back to the beginning of that arc and just do the whole run and turn the comic upside down and and yeah. and go through that whole experience again because it was just so much fun. The, I will say the um, the annual has a, a a silver surfer problem where the the artwork almost needs to be read in paper because if you flip oh your boy. iPad it, it, it you can't read it properly um unless you lock your screen out I don't know if you can lock your is screen. the annual necessary no it's periphery all right well then yeah. I probably I'll probably yeah. skip it but the Frank Avila art is amazing oh I, I read dark ages number one what oh yeah yeah, I thought it was interesting. I um, I, you know, I noticed my my I think my litmus test now is a two issue, yeah, uh, test because you know they so often now are wanting you to sort of be sort of left dangling, 
to figure out whether or not you're going to, to to keep you into the next issue. But I will say, I think this was a more well-rounded start. Mm-hmm. Um, it sort of, it did all the things it didn't. And this is going to be in contrast to what I'm going to talk about during my lightning round. <laughs> it did <laughs> all the things that you needed to do to be positioned into, in the world that we're going to move forward with. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't, you're not, you don't have, you can read this and say, okay, so this is, this is a context you know, of everything I read from this point forward. And now I get it. And, you know, you know, we're dangling with, you know, messing with that whole multiverse thing, sort of, kind of again. Um, and it was an interesting way of, of setting up this sort of structure. So yeah, I, I, I think I'm going to keep going. Yeah, I am too. I think I'm gonna read the whole thing. Nice. I'm going to throw a quick aside out there. I think Batman and Superman first teamed up on the radio. I do, I, I do believe you're right. And then they decide because originally they had no shared continuity. No, none whatsoever. I think it was uh, Bud Collier, who was the Superman of the radio show. He was hurt or had, was sick or something. And they brought Batman in to fill some episodes. And then mm-hmm. they started teaming them up after that. Yeah. And, and why not put them both in a book together for why not? the next 40 years? <laughs> <laughs> That'll never work. Well, it should. Right. When you look at their power sets, in essence, one's a guy in the alleyway, and the other fellow's flying into outer space. It's kind of weird. Well, what is it? Uh, what, oil and water? Yeah. They, yeah. People say, like, yeah, like it, it's the, they're the odd couple. They're the odd couple of DC. They should play that All music right. right then. Yeah, sure. I like it. I'll uh, let's. I'll, I'll find it. I'll find a clip of it and, and mix it in. Play it for fourteen seconds so we don't get sued. All right, Mister Bob. Why don't we stick with you? Okay. And, uh... Captain Marvel number thirty-two by Kelly Thompson, Sergio Devia, Sean Parsons, Jesus Arbutov, and Clayton Cowles opens with a fight scene that shouldn't be possible. Carol is battling her last Avenger persona. As it turns out, there's no spoilers here. There's someone else inside that restrictive suit created by the evil Vox Supreme back in issues 12 through 17. Uh, And here, the apparent aim is collecting everyone who's ever been Captain Marvel. The lengthy battle sequence is thrilling, thanks to the art by Mr. DeVia, but also heartfelt, of course, through the efforts of Ms. Thompson. So this first chapter of The Last of the Marvels, it just roars to a chilling climax that well, it presages some tough times ahead for Captain Marvel moving forward. Wonder Girl number three by Joel Jones, Adriana Mello, Jordi Belair, and Clayton Cowles brings Jara Floor quite a bit deeper into her Amazonian road trip, and it's now Amazonian in both senses, so big doings there. Additionally, there's a new team in town as Cassie Sandmark, who's also Wonder Girl, convinces a very reluctant Artemis to pair up as two heads being better than one and all that. A very Cassie moment. And that goes surprisingly well as they continue their search for the elusive Yara. Look, I have a feeling this book isn't going to have a very long run, but I'm really enjoying it. However long it runs, I'm just having a blast with this. It's always great to see Joel Jones's art. And in a very light week, uh, I revisited a very neat IDW hardcover collection I probably spoke of here when I picked it up, which was in 2014. But what, what the heck? I'd bet that most comic book fans don't know that in 1944 and 1945, there was a newspaper comic strip starring Wonder Woman. Crafted by her original creators, writer William Moulton Marston and artist Harry G. Peter, 
It was a King Features strip, and it ran in papers across the country. And it used stories recrafted from the comics, including a retold origin and a fantastic reworking of the first appearance of the cheetah. Interesting bit of Wonder Woman trivia, according to Jill Lepore's Secret History of Wonder Woman, due to his workload on this newspaper strip, Dr. Morrison hired Joy Hummel, later Joy Murchison, to help write the comic book adventures of Wonder Woman, becoming the first woman to do that. And that would be a job which would last for many years and would lead her to create some really special stories, including the epic Villainy Inc. story with all the super villainesses teaming up in Wonder Woman number 28. Interesting thing here, too, about Harry Peter's art, some of it's just redone with the colors taken out, just repurposed. Others were completely redrawn. And because of his newspaper cartooning background back in the early part of the 20th century doing suffragist artwork, which is what brought him to Dr. Morrison's attention, his black and white artwork is incredible. There are some uses of wash and things here that are really kind of special. There's a lot of depth to it that you wouldn't have expected in a newspaper strip of, of, of a thing taken from a comic book. So that's some IDW. It's a little pricey, but it's in a really interesting sort of widescreen format in the uh, uh, the Library of American Comics series. This was, how much was this? Of course, there's no price up when I look at it. I think it was like $30. <laughs> I think it was like $30, which isn't so bad for the usual IDW brilliance. Actually, it was, I'm sorry, it was $50. <laughs> Oh, still pretty good, but you've got to be a fan at $50. Sorry about that. Nice presentation, though. Yes, it's gorgeous. Again, it's widescreen to replicate the strip format. It comes mm. with a little ribbon in between, a, a lovely introductory thing by, of course, Roy Thomas, because why not, you know. <laughs> but really, really nicely done. It's not complete. There are some strips missing because they're just missing. But it is really pretty dense, and it is... 175 pages or so, three strips per page. Oh, all right. That's not bad. No, there's a lot of stuff here. A lot of stuff here. That's cool. I'm curious, what is giving you the impression that Wonder Girl is going to end soon? Uh, actually, the well, introductory Joel, thing Joel is... Joel is yes. drawing it. Well, she's drawing half of it. The, uh, the introductory arc is by Bruce Canwell in the Wonder Woman book. We went from Joel Jones doing everything to the split storyline where Adriana Mello, who's doing great work, is doing the Artemis Cassie stuff. Joel Jones is doing the Yara stuff. Joel Jones is, I think, still under an exclusive contract with DC. Hmm. Well, the the most recent solicited, she's just writing it. So it's almost turning into Catwoman. Yeah, where she just writes it, and they probably have her off on something else. And with the the show having not pass muster to go front to even to a pilot. The one I'm still television mad about show. That. That's such crap. So I, I have the funny feeling once we get past whatever the solicitors are, we get past wonder woman's anniversary, October. And so the sales are really good. They'll keep it. If not, I think we're going to move on. So there'll be six issues or whatever of really fun stuff because Yara is a great character. It's so different. So, so refreshing. Yeah. With, with the, with so many people leaving DC in the next few months, I, they've got. I, I would not be surprised if they put Joelle Jones on something bigger. I'd like to I see her on the regular Wonder bigger. Woman book. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I would oh, love you to never see her Justice League. That'd be amazing. Do yeah. we? Do we yeah. actually ever talk about the Joshua Williamson news? I don't think. so. Uh, I don't think so. He oh, that he's taking over Batman. Batman yeah. Yeah. Um. 
I don't know don't if so. we talked about it. Maybe we didn't. No. I don't think we did. I think we it was last week with David, and I don't think we brought it up. Do we want to talk about it now? We can. Sure, why not? I think it's a good get. I mean, his his DC work's been phenomenal, and I, I mean, he cut his teeth in some horror comics, so that could be a good creepy vibe. He's been doing really good work. He's a really good fella. It's awfully mm-hmm. it's awfully safe as usual. So my complaint is it would have been the last time when Tynan took over. I agree. Uh, yeah. How, how about Joel Jones doing Batman? Yeah. Oh, don't oh, tease me. Geez. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Um, yeah, I do. I do agree with Bob that it's a safe move for them. But I also will say that the bat the Batman stuff that we've gotten since we started this show between the, the Snyder stuff, the King stuff, the Tynan stuff, I have always come around to the creators that have been on that character over the years. And I'm not going to assume that I know anything about what Williamson has planned for the character, especially after doing detective for so long and playing in that, in the bat verse now being on the main book, that could be the story that he's been saving, you know, that he's been, he's been tooling with or has had rattling around in his brain for however long it takes until he gets that main title, and now he got now he's got it. Well, I think it's Bat- so. Bat- I'm, I'm, yeah, Batman's leaving Gotham City. Sure, yeah, that's where we're going to start not? with. So, yeah, could be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. I, you know what? Like that's that's cool. Bring it on. And John Ridley's doing I Am Batman, which will be the, the Jace Fox Batman. Sweet. So that I mean, the thing with Batman is you're always going to get some great. I mean, they have the Jock is doing a Batman story. Uh, uh, Jeff Lemire and Dustin Nguyen are doing a Robin and Batman story. No, there's, right. there's always going to be great stuff there. It, it, you know, even if the main book isn't, you know, tripping your trigger, there's usually something, <laughs> sorry, there's something, around, I like that. <laughs> uh, there's something around Batman that, that will usually probably get, get somebody excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaron, what do you think about the Williamson Batman news? I have like a, you and I talked about this. I checked out a Batman a while ago, um, just because I didn't like the sensibilities of the story that were was being told at the time, um, and I and I just haven't taken the time to check back in. I, I realize that my my thing with Batman writing is that I do have certain expectations of it, um, of the way the story is told, and I felt like it wasn't being told that way before. So I need to actually sort of work myself back into a a book and you know usually the best time for me to do that is when someone new comes over and, and, and takes comes in and takes over um i will say that i sort of had the same experience with batman that i had with wolverine a few years ago and i was very verbal and vocal about it with my with my friends <laughs> and i was sort of just like i'm tapping out of everything and all things wolverine when he died i was so happy um <laughs> i was so happy um, not because I wanted him to be gone forever, but because I knew he would be gone for a little while. And then this whole sort of oversaturation of Wolverine in the Marvel universe would sort of die down for a little while because I felt like he was just everywhere, um, and being used as that anchor character. Um, and it was just too much because I think sometimes when you dilute a character with so many different personalities and so many different perspectives, you don't have the character. You just have sort of a face wearing so i sort of begin to feel that way about batman for a while so i just I understand that. that i just needed a break a batman break and you know maybe with williamson <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll pick it up again i think didn't williamson do the button 
Yes, he did. The Flash. I think I he was writing Flash one. at the time. Yeah, I think I enjoyed that one. Um, yeah, he was on Flash for years. Yeah. So yeah, I think I'll give it a shot and see where it goes. I'll give it an arc um, to see where it goes, and you know, maybe it might breathe new life into it. Um, yeah, I just I, I I appreciate the Trinity as they exist in the DC universe. I think the universe is very batman heavy when it comes to the trinity. yeah yeah and maybe maybe we can diversify it you know with you know more characters that are in that wonder woman universe and more characters that are you know in the i think we're getting there with the superman universe but you know just a just a thing yeah. all right have they announced an artist for it yet i don't know that they've announced the whole creative team i don't think so just yet i mean maybe are there solicits yet no the last, that, the most recent solicit is the last, uh, is the last um, Tinian issue. So, hmm. so that ends in November. So, I guess December he'll be coming in. All right, and we got a new story arc coming for, I guess, Captain Marvel number thirty-three. Well, it starts here. This is the start of it. Now, yeah. Oh, okay, no. okay, okay. Man, I'm really glad to see that uh, Kelly Thompson's Captain Marvel is going strong. Yeah, it's been very Such good almost from the beginning. And yeah. this this one looks to be very battle-centric, but as usual, there's a lot of emotion going on with Carol. Looks, This issue mm-hmm. begins with she's having a good day until all of a sudden she's not. <laughs> uh, yeah. She's just attacked out of nowhere. Aaron, did you get to read it? I did. I did not love the art. But I did. I love the story. I, I love the story, and it's sort of a. You know, it's interesting. She's she can be sometimes almost like so meta, you know, when it comes to like I realize I've been having like a really shitty run, of of luck, and mm-hmm. you know this 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 is gonna be. I'm just gonna take the data, decompress, and then boom. Oh, okay. I guess not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's sort of like I I I do like that she is. It's interesting. She gets an opportunity that I don't think every other character gets, and that is to evolve in their own story and sort of show the growth of her of the character in her own story. I don't know if you can say that about other characters because even though we we love a Peter Parker, he sometimes re- makes the same mistakes. And, you know, and we love a Thor, and we just talked about Thor last week. You know, yeah, being worthy or unworthy. Okay, <laughs> I have to yeah. say, I was editing that show together, and John, that part where you're like, "Spoilers, he's worthy." <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but like that part cracked me up. She seems to get to sort of grow and have her growth sort of stick. So I, you know, I think that's an, uh, I think that in itself is a character of her book. So I, I enjoy that. I think right. that also speaks for having the same creator stay with a character for a lengthy period of time that they really get to expand on their own ideas and really grow the character mm-hmm. as they grow their, their story. Yeah. And, and really that goes back to Kelly Sue DeConnick. Her Carol in issue one is not the same who would be at the end of two volumes. What Maggie Stoll brought to it was something a little different too. And then Kelly Thompson now on this book for two years or so mm-hmm. has really found an extra gear for Carol's growth. I think Aaron's definitely right. Just in this run, particularly there's been some really great stuff with Carol looking at her life differently and how she approaches things. And she still fouls up, but she, now she kind of knows she fouled up a little bit more. When, um, when does that like trip a three times a month, Spider-Man routine start? 
Because uh, Thompson's on that. I think next I, month? I think next month. After this whole sinister war, which I'm not reading, but it's splashed everywhere. Yeah, I have no idea what's going on in the Spider-Man I just know right she's, now. she's paired with Sarah Pacelli, which makes me very, <gasps> very curious. Oh my god! But it's like every other issue. I I don't know. No. I, I don't know if I can commit to that. I don't care. Topic. Give it to me. I might Marvel Unlimited that. Wait for it. Oh, I don't like that attitude. Get out of here. I can't. I cannot. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Even right, fifteen dollars a Spider Man. I'm like, listen, this listen. Awful lot of, this this is what they did with Brand New Day. They did this. Like, they did this at ten years ago. Yeah. I'll share the goods with you. I'll get you. I'll get you. I'll get you in there. Okay. Yeah, I mean, right. I love we'll me talk. some Sarah Pacelli art. So, well, we'll, we'll yeah, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll hook it up. I'll yeah. be your your candy man. Okay. Speaking of art, uh, Jorge Molina is the Batman artist. Oh. oh. So, okay then. Yeah. That is intriguing. You know what else is intriguing? <laughs> Stormy weather and Aaron Amos go together. <laughs> like I don't know what. I can't think that quick. Well, you could have Aaron, some can you horn for us, but that's okay. We'll <laughs> uh lightning round us, please, sir. All right. Well, you know, hunker down. <laughs> so <laughs> I was reading my books this week, and there were some definite up points, and then some points that were just sort of flat for me, but nothing that really sort of completely blew my socks off. But there was some good stuff. Not all of these are that. So <laughs> I'm going to start with yes. Superman and the Authority. Grant Morrison. Oh, I remember the last time you talked about this. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Grant Morrison, Evan Cagle, Michael Jannon, and, and Fico Osio, I think is the name, the way you pronounce it. So, you know, we still got the situation where we have an aging Superman from, I believe, another universe, um, you know, teaming up with Mr. Manchester Black, and they're trying to get this team together. Now, it's interesting that there is still this entire episode, or issue rather, is still them trying to get the team together because, you know, it's a four-issue mini, and we're two <laughs> issues in. And we we don't even have the whole team together, even by the end of this issue. So I don't know what's going to happen in the next. But it, I mean, it, it it better be something. But we, you know, we got some steel, we got some Natasha Iron, we got some uh, June Moon, who I don't know a whole lot about, to be honest with you. Um, but then we got some Midnighter and Apollo. Now you know I love me some Midnighter and Apollo. I got to be honest, this Midnighter Apollo offended me. Oh no! It, oh really? It was just a weird mismatch of stereotypical gay conversations that I just, we got Midnighter sort of focusing on his thing while Apollo was complaining that he doesn't get enough attention and he thinks he's cheating on him and this, that, and the other thing. And what, what, what are you talking about? So I, I was just sitting there just like, all right, you can fuck off. But anyway, um, I just sort of had to push past that and try to figure out where is this going? What is, what is this nameless, faceless, big bad that the authority, and by the way, this is not even the authority, um, is, is supposed to battle. And how come we don't know that by the end of issue two of a four issue mini? Anyway, that's that. Um, not sure who this story is for. I, I don't even know if I'm going to care after this issue, but it is what it is. Next book, 
Commander in Crisis number 12. I want to talk about this book because, you know, it's a, the completion of that arc. See Orlando sort of going into that, taking an opportunity with David Tinto and Yana Paquette to um, basically call upon all the work that he's done. He talks about this a little bit in a, in a sort of ex, a little epilogue discussion. Um, about you know, he's taking the opportunity to sort of call upon all of his experiences working for the big two, writing for you know, sort of known characters, you know, uh, known properties, and and the 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 restraints that are put on you in doing that. And he took this opportunity with with commanders in crisis to sort of step outside of that, sort of continue to go into that world, into that universe, and create a new universe, but sort of step outside of that. And in this universe, we've had a scenario where. Um, this organization called the Extinction Society is basically trying to perpetuate a multiversal sepsis that has been destroying different universes, you know, and the Crisis Command, as we have learned in previous issues, are uh, each inhabitants of one of those universes that have been destroyed who have somehow been imbued with, with powers and have come to this last Earth to save it. Um, from the sepsis. And the sepsis was hastened by the destruction of an idea, a concept, that concept being empathy. And so the realization in this issue, or the previous issue rather, and, and pushed forward in this issue is that the only way to save humanity um, in the absence of its empathy and ability to sort of relate to one another and understand another is to replace it with a new idea, you know, using a, a sort of enchanted tool that was provided to them by a god. Um, and you know, it becomes a. Uh, I understand the qual- the question that's being asked. You know, what what can humanity do? To what what questions can humanity ask? What what can humanity do? What idea can humanity explore? To not necessarily say we are going, we have answered this question, this overarching question of what is our purpose, but rather to keep the questions coming. You know, that keep us moving forward in that direction. And I get what he was going where he was going with this. Um, I think he did a good job. It's not an incredibly layered or, or complex story. It's not an incredibly layered or complex book, to be honest with you. It's not. It's not Hickman level with whiteboards and this, that, and the other thing happening. <laughs> it's a straightforward. You know, you know who the characters are. You know where they're going. You uh, you you understand the simplicity of it, and you understand what he's trying. The story he's trying to tell. Um, I think he wrapped it up pretty well. Um, I think he left himself some room to to continue forward with the story if he wanted to, but I think it, it wrapped up pretty well. It, it, it's a good book. It, it's not, I don't, uh, it's not going to blow your socks off with a major twist or anything like that because these characters are new. So you don't, you're not, in, you're not there yet. So I think maybe if the, he evolves these characters further and maybe does some other things and, you know, we'll see where it goes, but it was, it was a good story. I, I'm, I'm glad I read it. It was, it was a good story from a good perspective, from a different perspective with a, you know, a writer who's got a diverse background himself. Last book, um, the last annihilation event. I'm not. I have no idea. None. Marvel. None. No idea what's going on with it. Um, uh, so I. But all I know is when I see Wicked and Hulkling in a title, I got to pick it up. So the last annihilation, Wicked and Hulkling number one, Anthony Oliveira and Jan. Bald, I'm sorry, Balza Dewey. Dua. I'm sorry. Apologies. Um, I had no idea what this was. I, it it sort of links to. The story that started, well, not started, but sort of continued, I believe, in Sword Number Seven with Hulkling and Wiccan being on different planets. And I know it's a part of this a heart larger arc that's going through a bunch of other books um, that are listed in the back. I didn't care because I'm not going to read it. 
Um, I just cared about Wicked Hulk. Tell us how you really feel. I'm not going to read it. I just don't care. You're not- Sassy on your birthday, Aaron. Love it. I'm sorry. I'm just, okay, listen, I'm not reading it. Um, but I will read me some Wicked Hulk. And I will continue to say, and I'll refer to this book as a reason for it. I will continue to say that we need someone writing a Wicked and Hulkling story. This story was so cute and fun and, and just continues to cement their relationship, um, you know, as a, I think, a Marvel power couple. And it's it does a, a time jump back and forth to when they first met, just up to the point where they, it sort of stops just at the point where they are being invited to the Young Avengers. Um, and you have this sort of high school story of Billy being bullied by bullies and Wiccan being, no, sorry, not Wiccan, but Teddy being the, the jock and the two of them sort of coming into each other's orbit meeting. And then fast forward to them being on opposing or different planets, trying to protect, you know, the universe because, you know, Teddy is now the emperor um, trying to bring the Korean scroll together. Um, and, you know, just this, the way the stories went from, Past to future, planet to planet, back and forth, showing that connection between, you know, uh, Wicked and Hulkling was just, that was my favorite thing of the week of all the books that I read. I'll be 100% honest with you. Um, If the quiet moments of them realizing, you know, using some, how do I want to say, I want to spoil something, using remnants of negabands to... Create <laughs> to create their wedding bands um, was something, and then it referenced back to you know who I'm talking about. Then based on that gasp, mm-hmm. reference back to all of that. Oh, and also there's a character in this book that showed up in Captain Marvel, and I was just like, I don't know who this is, but apparently it's somebody. So I had to Wikipedia it. Bob, you know who I'm talking yes. about. So I was like, I had to, then there was like a brother associated with it. I don't know, but all these other characters that I have no idea where they came from, but I was interested, you know, and I they. Fit to, they fit into the story and they fit into this relationship. And there was just like a, I don't know, there was there was comic stuff, there was superhero stuff going on, but there's just something about the tenderness of their relationship um, that I have just continued to be drawn to from the first time I read them in, in Young Avengers and, and to, even till now. And I will continue to say that there needs to be a story that focuses on that with a little bit of superheroing on the side. Um, uh, it's just my thing. Um, so, but that's, that's my books. <laughs> Just hold on to that uh, last annihilation for end of the year for single issue. It's a Never know. One. It's a good one. It really, really is. Yeah, you definitely sold me on that. I'm going to have to go back and uh, purchase that and indulge because I do love those characters. And I uh, I get a little wary when we have these one-offs, but uh, yeah. You're definitely, definitely pulling me in. As I was reading that, I, I flipped to the back and I saw the list of other books. I was like, nope. No. Nope. Funny thing and is, nope. I've enjoyed every one of them I've read, but I have no desire to read the whole thing. <laughs> I enjoyed yeah. Cable. I enjoyed Sword. I, I did not read this yet, but I'm going to this weekend or this week. I, I just have no desire to read the whole story. I just, I just, when it, I just, I don't want to. <sighs> I don't want to what I got from this book was had nothing to do with whatever the through line of the mm-hmm. overarching story is. I mean, I, there's mindless ones all over the place. They're popping up all over the universe. They're having the sword was broken, the this, that, and the other thing, blah, 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 blah. They were so cute. 
<laughs> That's all I'm saying. So, yeah, I, I say pick it up for that. I'm looking at the list of all the books that they are um, that are part of this story. And honest God, I, it says here, Guardians of the Galaxy 15, Sword Number 7, Guardians of the Galaxy 17, La Cable Reloaded Number 1, Last Annihilation, Wicked and Hulkling, it's this one, Last Annihilation, Wakanda, and Guardians of the Galaxy Number 18 is, I guess, where it wraps up. No idea what's happening in the storyline. None. None. Didn't care. But apparently doesn't matter either. So that's be- that's great. The best parts are the 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 how we got to how we got from where we were to where we are now and why it's such a beautiful story. And there was also a hint of it almost made this part sort of got me sad a little bit. There was um Wiccan was trying to cast a spell to to repair a broken sword. It's a very important sword. Um but he was saying that there's something wrong. He goes, not with my magic, but something has happened, you know, that is sort of disrupting magic everywhere. And, you know, you sort of cut to Abigail Brand, who's in the story, and she's like, I can't take the risk of telling him now. So clearly it's, this is post Wanda's, yeah, you know, post Wanda's death. Um, and he doesn't know yet. Oh, I think it is the Doctor Strange stuff. No, I oh, well, I mean, I could, I think, but there's, there was a no, reference. You know, in, you make that makes more sense. Yeah, because oh, there was yeah. a reference in the other book, I think, in Sword also, that yeah. he doesn't know that Wanda is. He's like he because they reference that he's been trying to get in touch with her, but he can't seem to find her. Yeah. Um. So it just made me sad. I'm like the the point where he finds out that his mother is dead, while you know, dead for. I'm doing air quotes. Dead. Yeah. Um, it's just going to be, I, I hope they handle that well, because it's going to be gut wrenching because they've referenced it now. I've seen him reference it twice and he, he can't mm-hmm. quite figure out where she is. And it's sort of, there was definitely an allusion to it by, you know, Al- Abigail Brand. And he and she said something, he's like, what does that mean? And she's like, no time for this now. Got to move. <laughs> you you got to keep working <laughs> that spell. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Speaking of spells and Dr. Strange, did anybody catch the latest episode of what if? Yeah, yeah. To be honest with you, I feel like that's probably what would have happened most likely. Yeah. That <laughs> pretty dark. That the last two, the last one, the one before that too was pretty dark, but not as dark as the new one. I really, really enjoyed the the latest one a lot. Um, we'll probably talk more about that once. What if is wrapped up? Maybe we'll do like an overall favorite episodes uh, I mean, podcast. Love the, the interaction time, between Stephen and the Watcher. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, man, visually just ridiculous. It, it, there was so much to look at in that episode. We can we can talk more about it maybe down the line. I just wanted to throw it out there real quick to find out if you guys have watched it. I was really impressed with it. I think they're four for four so far. Yeah, yeah. All right. Oof. Unless anybody uh, else has anything for Aaron, I think we're going to move on to some questions and then get out of here. Stay away from that Superman book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, yeah. Sounds, it's a shame that that's such a bummer. That first yeah. issue triggered me and, and it sounds like it does not improve. It does not. I just, I, oh, I was just so annoyed and offended by that whole scene. Like you have these incredible characters and this is what you do. Oh, by the way, speaking of triggering, I got to look at the end of, Infinite Frontier number six. Mm-hmm. Oh, please. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Oh, gosh. The new multiverse two. 
Uh, what? Oh, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I read that. I read yeah. number five this week. They've been uh, building to that since this, this whole thing began. There's, a, there's another 52 there's, there's, a, there's, a crisis, there's a crisis brewing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Maybe we shouldn't. No. <laughs> let's not get too ahead of it. But yeah. All right. Let's 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 do some questions here. So um, I just want to put it out there that James and Lee, if you're listening, we are going to save your questions for next time because uh, we we're a little pressed for time this week. But we do have some questions from Ian. Uh, and from Brian, I'll read Ian's first. There's a little bit more to this email, but uh, I'll skip to the question part. Thank you, Ian, for, for sending this in. Uh, I'm not going to dredge uh, going to dredge with the details, but I'm starting a comic book club at, uh, with my local library. Our first month is in the winter, and I've picked what I think is a pretty awesome list of books. No spoilers. Uh, I'm pretty nervous because I don't really talk about comics much, uh, and with that being what you all do. I just wanted to see if you had any uh, advice to help me prepare. Okay. So my advice would be to, if you're going to, you're going to be curating the list of these stories, definitely have a plan mapped out for each one. Uh, Try to go through the story as much as you can and, and can and build yourself a framework for talking points. And, you know, your, your participants and the people in the group will definitely lend to the conversation. Obviously, that's the idea. But um, try to hit as many bases as you can in terms of um, encouraging different uh, viewpoints on the characters and, and stories. Um, I hope that's coming across well. I'm really tired. I'm sorry. Um I have more, but does anybody else have any advice for for doing book club? Well, I think we should go with go with hit the hit the oddball. Yeah. Celebrate diversity. Don't stick yeah. to the usual Absolutely. things. Attack it with passion and your own curiosity to want to learn something that then gets imparted to these people at at the book club. Go- there are so many things for so many audiences now across the board in, in those other places at image and boom and IDW and so on. But even at the big two, make sure to, to grab onto those DC young adult books that we've loved almost nearly every one of them. Make sure you hit the little oddball pockets of the Marvel universe too, that are, that are different. The Marvel voices books that have just come out to do something with America or a squirrel girl or Ms. Marvel panther there there are other ways to look at it that aren't just cap thor and iron man and in the actual book selling world it's those other things it's those graphic novels and the one-off things it's the, the things like making friends or paranorthern that are part of a larger world of readers and they're still comic books introduce those things that people don't understand movie franchises that are from comic books and that's whether it's road to perdition or it's men in black try Mm -hmm. those sorts of things go explore every little nook and cranny you can yeah yeah Yeah, because you never know what kind of stories are going to resonate with people from your group amen also if it's first time comic readers make sure you explain how comics work like splash pages and things like that read that scott mcleod book right Yeah. yeah yeah i mean it's just do we know the name of that one? Understanding Comics, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. 
Yeah, if you've got if you've got some time, um, if you're you're looking to start this in the winter, I uh, you know maybe pick up that Scott McCloud book. Maybe plot a couple of your of your sessions, and you know try to plot your title so that you hit uh, a little bit of a wide berth uh, coming out of the gate, and let you know let your your people know that you're doing this with that. If something doesn't hit for them that week there could be something right around the corner that really resonates with them. I think also what's going to be super important, again, if it, especially if it's first-time comic readers or people who are relatively new to comics or, or long-time comics readers, doesn't matter, um, establish up front that it's a safe space for conversation. Yeah. Yeah. You know that everyone has a difference in the their relationship. You know, set expectations, create norms, if you want to call them that, for the 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 book club but then at the same time be prepared for the conversation to go in ways that you would anticipate because that's usually where the best conversation is going to come from you don't you don't want to stage every conversation you know with cue cards and and you know an outline because you you sort of want that organic conversation to happen but just be prepared for that and you know and 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 embrace the diversity of talk yeah usually you know if it's a good conversation those things that you write down will be will be volunteered for you. You know, it kind of makes me think of the the David interview that every time we have him on, I have all these questions and he normally hits them naturally, you know, just by nature of him being a, a good conversationalist. And if you get a good group of people talking about a good story, they could end up covering a lot of your talking points within a short period of time. And you want to be able to either carry the conversation or, or know when there's been enough. Yeah, I mean, allow or, yourself to be influenced by yeah. the conversation so that, you know, you never know. You might have had an idea that the, the way the, the club was going to go, but then the way the first meeting goes might influence the way you sort of plan for the second yeah. one to sort of let it develop. Yeah, and look, and as Aaron says, Steve, when we were doing our book club, one of the ones that I think led to the best conversation was something that I think would have certainly surprised you was when we talked about Killing Joke. And it was a, uh, what would it be, uh, I think most would assume would be this entirely positive conversation about this groundbreaking graphic novel that changed comics forever. And Carol and I shat upon it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, I had a friend, uh, the, 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 our DM for our D and D group was bringing up comic stories the other day. And they brought up the killing joke. And I, I audibly was like, whoa. And I had to have that conversation with them about why that story is problematic. And uh, it was it, it definitely got them to kind of rethink their uh, their strategy a little bit. Yeah. It's, anyway. That's, again, as Aaron says, you, you let the conversation where you said the same thing. Let the conversation go where it goes. Have an idea. Yeah. Framework. But – don't be beholden to yeah. it necessarily. Make it make it more jazz like than classical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, anybody else have any advice that they want to impart? Have fun. Yeah. Have yeah, there you go. Have fun. Yeah. yeah. Have fun, and don't don't get don't get discouraged if the first meeting or even the second meeting uh, doesn't go all according to plan. It is a there will be an evolution to it for sure, and 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 roll with it, and like. Just have a good time. Just have a good time. If you have a good time, they'll have a good time. Yep. All right. Our next and last question, and then I promise we will hit the other questions next time. Uh, This one comes from Brian. My question for you all uh, is a comics-related one. How about that? 
I am currently rereading Daredevil issues one through four, then issues 155 through the current day. Is there a character or team that has a long backlog of issues that you would like to binge read or reread in the near future? So I don't know about, well, some of these are, are near future for me just by the, the nature of us having to kind of catch up with stuff for when we get to our end of the year discussions. But, uh, Believe it or not, Joey and I still plan on doing our Sex Criminals <laughs> reread of the the whole series and doing a, a podcast discussion on that. We'll probably do uh, one of those shorter like mini episodes, like Aaron and I had done a few weeks ago. Uh, Sandman is still sitting in my basement, so Neil Gaiman and company. One of these days, I will dedicate myself to that. Monstrous has gotten away from me for at least two arcs at this point, that is something that I will need to go back and start from the beginning once I decide to sit down and play catch up with that. Maybe toward the end of the year, I'll dip into that. Uh, My second to last one is Die. Die will be ending, I believe, this month with issue number 20. And I will go back and I will read that from issue one all the way through 20. That will be probably my sixth reread of the series and I'll probably be reading it for years to come because it has just been amazing and I cannot wait to see how it ends. I've held off for the entire last arc and I'm just so excited. And uh, the last but not least is I have all of those um, Perez Wonder Woman uh, omnibuses in the basement. I have that whole era of Wonder Woman to go through. It'll it'll blow your mind. I know and I really like I really want to make the time for it. And I really want to sit down and, and dig into that stuff. Cause I know that there's just such amazing stuff to be had and it's right down there in my library. I just need to get to it. Uh, so I'm super excited to eventually dive into that. I know that I can take my time with that. So it's not like super pressing, but it is definitely of the things that are down there. That's the thing that kind of keeps calling to me and saying like, come on, come on, let's do this. So those are some answers from me. Um, Aaron, do you have anything for this one? Not really, to be honest with you. Um, well, and, and not to say it that way, but I, the, previously it would have been JSA. Mm-hmm. But I went back and I read well, everything that was in Marvel Unlimited. I'm, I'm sure there's probably – I was just thinking of one. I'm sure there's probably – I still want to finish reading um, James Robinson's uh, Starman. Starman. I was reading that. Uh, and it was really good. So I probably want to go back and finish that. Um, just sort of going through it and sort of going through the different iterations of Starman. But that's the only one that's sort of still in progress for me. Everything else I sort of, I have taken the time to sort of go back and at least read enough of their arcs. Oh, I started, um, what was that? Um, different versions of Batman Beyond. Um, and I was really enjoying that. So yeah, probably those. That's probably about it. Nice. Uh, John, what do you got for this one? I mean, I have, I have image books. Just like I mean, I have to read Die. I've read the first two trades. I want to get the. I'm gonna read the last two, uh, things like that. But for like a big reread, I I recently purchased um, John Byrne's Fourth World. So his take on the, the Kirby Fourth World. It's a big omnibuy, and it's about thirty or forty issues. 
And then I'll probably read Walter Simonson's Orion uh, in the similar vein. Those are the two big rereads I have on my horizon when I get some time. All right. Cool. Uh, so listen, I've been meaning to do this uh, for a while. I don't get to go, I guess. Okay, good. No problem. Oh, no, 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 no. no, no I'm sorry. Show, no, go no, ahead. It makes the show shorter. Go for it. Bob's ready. No, no, no. No, of course. Go ahead, Bob. Well, I should have some stuff thrown in boxes here. They've been sitting here for a couple of years in some cases. Really want to reread the slot all red silver surfer. Yes. Uh, mm. I'm desperately miss squirrel girl. So I will probably run through that again, but two, I mm. really want to take a shot at one's giant days, even though we did it only a couple of years ago, but again, a book I miss desperately. So that with the show coming, like to go through Hawkeye again. Certainly want to do that. And certainly She-Hulk. And I'll, I'll start with Savage, the, the originally Stan, John Buscema, but certainly go through all of the burn stuff. Some of Slots, a little bit of Peter David's, but I think it's it's definitely going to lead into John Byrne and Dan Slott's version of She-Hulk. Particularly considering what's going on in the Avengers with the She-Hulk, I want to I want to cleanse my palate of some of the pages I've seen of that. <laughs> Because it's awful what they're doing over there. You mean you mean the Winter Hulk? The Winter Hulk. <laughs> and there's a. I know I know nothing about it. Oh, th- she's been kidnapped and mind controlled and blah blah blah, and now she's a red She Hulk, and they're apparently doing. And I'm not going to name names because I I it's the old schoolyard thing. I don't tell. They're, they've solicited a new She Hulk series that. Jen starts her life back as as a, as a lawyer, except a friend of hers needs help, and she goes all savage again. Please, can we stop? Can we just stop with that? That's all I'm saying. All I'm saying. <laughs> they have not been kind to that character since Civil War II. Absolutely. Though I, hanging on my wall, though I have another copy, is that Patsy Walker issue where she's sitting at her bedside. Oh yeah. I remember that. Oh, heart, uh, Patsy Walker would be a great binge read again. Yes, Waka. Oh, so good. Oh man, the uh, Charles Soule, um, She-Hulk. Also oh, the She-Hulk. Good. That yeah. was good. Yeah, yeah, that was good too. That was very good. Yeah. I remember some of the conversations we had around the art when Stephanie was here. <laughs> <laughs> she had problems with that book. <laughs> All right. Okay, I think that that's going to do it. We're going to talk about the books we're looking forward to this week. Bob, what are you picking up? Sensational Wonder Woman number seven. Batman Catwoman number seven is due this week. And I'll, you know, I want to finish the story. I'm been underwhelmed by a lot of it. it I thought it ticked upward nicely in number six. So we'll see defenders number two and Elvira meets Vincent price. Number two. Sweet. Uh, Aaron, what are you picking up? So probably X force, uh, 23 Excalibur 23, um, <laughs> infinite frontier number six. I think you should just to be aggravated. I, I, I'm so close to the end. I might as well just, <laughs> He just ripped the Band-Aid off. Defenders 2, uh, Blue and Gold, number 2, comes out. Booster Gold and, and Blue Beetle. Um, Shang-Chi, number 4. I think mm-hmm. it's Ordinary Gods, number 3, I believe it is. 
coming out, and Excellence is coming out this weekend. Yeah. Nice. John, what are you getting? Uh, Batman Catwoman number seven. Batman 112 kicking off Fear State. I, I will read Infinite Frontier number six. Uh, <laughs> Suicide Squad get Joker number two. Daredevil number 34, Excalibur, Shang-Chi, X-Force. And then the re- recently announced, it's going to be ending soon, uh, Deadly Class number 48 comes out. Oh. Okay. That's a book that could use a good reread. I love yeah. that book. Yeah, I've got those um, those oversized image trades. I should, mm-hmm. should go and grab those. Uh, for me, I've got Batman number 112, uh, Nice House on the Lake number 4. Uh, I'm going to pick up, this is already out, uh, at least the first part of it, but uh, The Lost Carnival, a Grayson story, is out. Um, that's also the uh, art from uh, Sass Mildredge from um, Mamo that I talked about earlier. So uh, Daredevil, number 34. I'm going to pick up Defenders, number one and uh, numbers one and two, after Bob had uh, talked so greatly about it. Uh, Shang-Chi, number four. Excellence number 11, Mamo number three comes out. May's book number one from Jeff Lemire is hitting the stands. Uh, the Me You Love in the Dark number two is coming out this week. I wasn't on that show, but I absolutely loved that first issue a lot. So very much looking forward to that. The Unbelievable Unteens number two, that's part of the uh, Black Hammer universe. That first issue was really rad. And last but not least, the trade paperback edition of The Last Witch is hitting stands. And I've been holding off on those issues. They were really expensive. And I just wanted to save a little bit of money and wait for the trade. So I'm going to pick that up and read the daylights out of that. Because um, that those first two issues were just outstanding. Mm. And so those are my books for you- this week. Did you see Lemire's moving Black Hammer to Substack? No. No, I did not. Oh, boy. Yes, he is. Well, you know, that's all right. Okay. I'm not I'm not that invested in the Black Hammer stuff. I, I enjoyed my time with it reading the main book. Um, Reborn has been pretty cool, but it's not, it's not a world that I would follow into Substack. Like, I can, I can wait. Um, on that stuff yeah. it's fine It'll yeah i don't know i i'm i'm trying to like make my peace with the whole Substack thing and just accept that i still don't really understand what's going to go on with it and i probably won't until i hear about stories actually coming out on it and i don't have access to them and then i'll i'll yeah. see how i feel but i'm st- i'm still not interested in in subscribing or doing whatever it is to join the Substack stuff i just just not interested. I'm right there with you. So, uh, too many questions, not enough good answers, in my opinion. And, um, yep, so those are our books. Uh, oh, and like I was saying before, uh, the thing that I want to try to do um, is read everybody's books again, just because I know that sometimes we mention them at the top and then, um, you know, we got to get lost in conversation. But uh, this episode... We had uh, Mamo number uh, numbers one and two, Harley Quinn the animated series, the Eat Bang Kill Tour number one, the Many Deaths of Layla Star number five, uh, Batman Superman twenty and twenty one and the Annual number one, Batman Fear State Alpha number one, Dark Ages number one, Titans uh, seasons three episodes one through four, 
Commanders in Crisis, number 12. The Last uh, Annihilation, Wiccan and Hulkling, I assume number one. Uh, Superman and the Authority, number two. And uh, Captain Marvel, number 32. Wonder Girl, number three. And Wonder Woman, the Daily Comics, 1944 to 1945 were the books. And of course, we talked Shang-Chi so much. And we managed to do it all without spoilers. I was, I was pretty Very proud impressive. of that. Yeah, not bad. And I noticed how much we had to say about it, though, even without talking about the, the the details and surprises of the movie. I think that speaks volumes about that movie. We should tell so people good. in terms of surprises, there are post-credits scenes, so stay in yes. the theater. I saw people leaving. They st- people still haven't figured it out. I was very proud of my crew because not one person got up. Everybody waited till the end, and I looked around the room and was like, yeah, you all know what's yeah. up. But yes, there's a mid-credit sequence and an after-the-credit sequence. And both are very cool. So, yeah. um, And one of them is outright hilarious. <laughs> so no spoilers, but oh, I cracked up. It's so good. All right. Uh, I believe that is going to do it for this week's edition of the Talking Comics Podcast. Does anybody have any closing statements or anything that they want to share? Happy birthday, Aaron. Happy yeah. birthday. Hey, thanks, guys. I, really, I didn't say it earlier, but thanks all for the birthday wishes. It was appreciated. Of course. You got plans? Um, I'm on vacation this week, so I'm just sort of playing it by year, day by day. Might take a couple go. of day trips. Got I got the, got the dog I got to look after, so can't do too much. <laughs> Sweet. All right. As always, you can send us your comments or questions through our email podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. We are also on Twitter at Talking Comics. We've also got talkingcomicbooks.com where you can find reviews and features from our fantastic contributors. Bob, where can our listeners find you? Still old fashioned email, Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. Joey is at Joey Brachino. Aaron at Aaron J. Amos. John at John P. Burkle. And I am at dead underscore anchoress on the internet. So for Bob. Congratulations, Kristen. Yeah. Congratulations indeed. Uh, for John. Go see Shang-Chi. <laughs> for Aaron. Yeah, ditto. Ditto to that. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening. Be excellent to each other. And until next time on the Talking Comics podcast. To be continued.